This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Why are we so nasty to one another? There is ample evidence to suggest that politics is at its nastiest in this country at any time since the Civil War. In June of 2023, uh, President Trump was talking to some of his supporters after pleading not guilty in federal court, and he said... Joe Biden got Joe Biden together with a band of his closest thugs, misfits and Marxists tried to destroy American democracy. Now, when it comes to President Trump, I don't think a lot of people are surprised by that. But it's not just Trump. It's not just Republicans. In 2019, New Jersey Democratic Senator Cory Booker went on a talk show and he went on to bemoan some of the things President Trump was saying and the lack of civility in politics. And then he went on to call Trump a physically weak specimen and said that his own testosterone makes me want to punch Trump. We've heard the same thing from Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo said that uh, he would have decked Trump if he could. Now, um, there's a new book out by Thomas Zaitsov, who's a professor of public affairs at American University. And he demonstrates, I think, pretty convincingly, that the level of nastiness in American politics has increased dramatically. And he collected historical data from newspapers on the relative frequencies of stories involving Congress that contained keywords associated with nasty politics like smear, brawl, slander. And he found, and I believe this, he found that nasty politics is more prevalent than at any time since the civil war if you turn on the television if you turn on the radio i think you hear it all the time president trump in iowa ron de sanctus did anyone ever hear of de sanctus de sanctimonious de sanctus. ron was a disciple of paul ryan who is a rhino loser who currently is destroying fox and would constantly vote against entitlements. Ron DeSantis strongly opposed ethanol. Do you know that? And we don't even know if he's running, but I might as well tell you. If he's not running, I'll say he was fine on ethanol. Don't worry about President Biden, in his speech on Bidenomics, where he was supposedly talking about his positive economic record, he basically takes the opportunity to mock the senator from Alabama, Tommy Tuberville. Just last week, we announced our plan to bring affordable high-speed Internet to end the decade of of unaffordable and inaccessible Internet to every home in America, every small business in America. And to no one's surprise, to no one's surprise, 
Let's bring along some converts. People strenuously opposed voting against it when we had this going on. They were, this was going to bankrupt America. Well, there's a guy named Tuberville from Alabama, Senator from Alabama, who announced he strongly opposed the legislation. Now he's hailing this passage. Here's what he said, quote, it's great to see Alabama receive critical funds to boost ongoing broadband efforts. Well, so I don't know that Biden has gotten into the kind of name calling that uh, that people like Chris Christie and Donald Trump have gotten into or the kind of threats of physical violence that people like Chris Christie, that uh, people like Cory Booker and Andrew Cuomo have gone into. But he's certainly very capable of calling a reporter an SOB or things of that nature. And he has taken to mocking Tommy Tuberville whenever he can. He said things like he's a better football coach than he was a senator and all sorts of other just unnecessary, nasty things. And I'm very concerned about this because what we've seen is that so often deadly words lead to violence. We saw we've seen this in Turkey. We've seen this in the Philippines. We've seen this in Israel. We've seen this in Ukraine. We've seen this all over the world, including in the United States. In the in the run up to the Civil War, there was actually a member of Congress that was assaulted on the floor of the Capitol. And ultimately, he ended up dying. So you really have to, at least I am very concerned about the ratcheting up of vitriol and just in general nastiness that comes to define American politics these days. And it's interesting because um, the one guy that's running this year, and it's a guy that I keep talking about and I have a lot of respect for and I may end up supporting, that is not doing that is, although I don't think Tim Scott does that, but the one, one of the guys that really makes a point of not bad-mouthing anybody is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He was on the show on Monday. He said, look, I'm not going to say anything nasty about Trump, not going to say anything nasty about Biden. I'm happy to compare my ideas and my record to theirs. I think that's what we need. And it's just so interesting. That person that I just mentioned, it's not just politicians that are nasty with one another. It's us. It's the voters. It's the press. It's the media. It's commentators. It's everybody. Uh, when I had Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on, uh, well, actually, no, yesterday when I had Tony Lyons on, who was uh, running this super PAC supporting Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a guy called in and first said that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. should be executed. Now, thankfully, nobody takes that guy seriously, but imagine if they did. Imagine if he was someone credible that uh, that would somebody would actually act on his words. And then he ended the conversation, or I ended the conversation, when he called my guest uh, a blank hole. Now, think about that. These are adults. These are not fifth or sixth graders that are trying to sort out their difficulties. These are people that are supposedly adults that should know how to interact with one another. And yet, this nastiness gets worse and worse, whether it's Marjorie Taylor Greene telling Randy Weingarten she's not really a mother. I just don't understand why people have to do that. One person in the Facebook group, and actually one of the nicer people, we have a Facebook group you could join, Morano Radio Fans and Haters, she said of Robert Kennedy, he should just go away. He should just go away. Now, wouldn't that be a world if we could just have all our adversaries that we don't agree with just go away. And she's one of the nicer people. That's how toxic our political climate has become. That's how nasty our political climate has become. Now, why is this the case? That's my question for you. How did we get here? 
800-848-9222. Now, the conventional wisdom for the reason that politicians go nasty is that while voters find mudslinging or political brawling distasteful, it's actually effective. Or that even though they won't admit it, voters secretly like nasty politics. But polling, for what it's worth, shows the opposite. Voters don't like it when politicians go nasty and are worried it could lead to violence and reduce their support for those who do it. That's what I found. That's what uh, Thomas Zaitsev found in researching his book in countless surveys in the U.S., Ukraine and Israel, where he did research for his book. uh, He found that even ardent Trump supporters reduce their approval for him when he uses uncivil language and i'll be honest i'm one of those people i was a trump supporter since 1999 that's how i first got to meet roger stone and i am so turned off by the way he talks to people and the way he talks about people and i know that uh, all these guys people like christie people like trump people like al D'Amato, they think that they do that when they do something like this it gets attention and they're right we in the press reward them we reward them with sound bites and playing these clips on the news. But I'm curious how we can find an off ramp to this. Is the only solution another civil war? Is that where we're headed? So my questions for you are twofold. One is how did we get here? Some people are very, or have tried to analyze this situation and blame talk radio. I don't buy that. I don't buy that for a second. I'm sorry. Uh, And more important, how do we get out of here? How do we get people to be nicer to one another? I don't know the answer to that. I think the answer is to try and get people out of the bubbles that they inhabit, try to have more friends and more acquaintances that uh, that don't have vote the same way they do that don't worship the same way they do that don't look like them that don't uh that aren't the same age as them get people out of their bubble get people out of their comfort zone so they can interact with people who are different from them nasty rhetoric is more likely to get covered in the media and maybe that's our fault maybe we in the media shouldn't do that but here's the other problem and this is always the problem social media Nasty rhetoric is more likely to get likes, to get clicks, to get shares than the civil counterpart. I see it in my own case. When I say something that is mildly inflammatory or insulting towards a public official, people are retweeting, people are clicking like. When I say something that is just kind of civil and a polite disagreement with someone, nobody shares, nobody retweets, nobody clicks like. Second, given the attention-grabbing nature of politics, nasty politics is an important tool for outsider politicians, people who don't have the name recognition or the access to the same resources as as party leaders, and they use nasty politics to get noticed and build a following. Marjorie Taylor Greene did that very effectively. Matt Gates did that to some extent. And some people believe that nasty politics can be used to signal some sort of a, a toughness. I don't buy that. I don't think you're tough for calling someone a dopey name. But whatever the case, I don't know the cause, but this uptick in nasty politics is a symptom of the country's deep divisions, and it's a harbinger of future threats to democracy. And we need to do something about it. What it is that we can do, I don't know. But... 
Maybe you don't buy this. Maybe you don't buy that we're as nasty to one another as we have been since any time since the Civil War. I find this data uh, pretty convincing and pretty consistent with my anecdotal observations of how people talk about folks they don't agree with. We're at a point where there's no such thing as the loyal opposition. You can't just politely disagree with someone. You have to destroy your adversary. And I don't think that's healthy. And uh, I try on this program to provide a, a forum for people of differing viewpoints to engage with one another civilly. And a couple of other radio programs do that. On television, you really don't see that anymore. You used to see it with shows like Crossfire or Hannity and Combs. There's no shows like that anymore. So what can be done? What are we doing about it? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Woodside. Hello, Mike. Mike? You know, uh, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, Mike? I got you now, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, I was a journalist in the Philippines for for a long time, for over 20 years, and, and I saw this personally, you know, what you were talking about with how the discord, the anger, the, the divided things get out of hand. And one of the first effects that we saw, uh, I saw firsthand, were three of my colleagues, you know, uh, were murdered. Just because the discourse got so bad, the political wow. discourse, they took one person's side. They interviewed one guy. One guy w- was talking about, you know, illegal logging, illegal mining. Jerry Ortega, he's, he's very famous in the Philippines. You can Google him and look him up. And he was shot while looking for shoes for his daughter, who is a nurse who came actually here to the United States. And then there's others. How bad does it get for the politicians? I have an uncle right now who needs to get cancer care in Houston. He's a congressman, a sitting congressman in the Philippines. Days before he takes his trip, they convicted him for missing firearms for a 20-year period while he was a mayor of a town that were lost by his police officers. So, so Mike, let me, let me ask the twofold question. Let me reiterate the twofold question that I asked. How did we get here? How did we get to a place where the discourse is so nasty? And what's the off-ramp? How do we get out of here? Well, if it bleeds, it leads. It's it's the same basic rule here and everywhere else in the world. You know, if it gets, it gets ugly, if it gets exciting, you know, just like in wrestling, people watch it, you know, and, and people like it. The way to get out of here is to take it down a lot. You know, take it down a notch. Don't be so angry. Don't be so so outlandish about things. And maybe come back to a little bit of gentlemanly discord. Maybe have Trump and Biden play golf. Okay, they take swings at each other with their golf clubs. Who cares? But Right then and there, that will lessen the anger. That will lessen the thing. When supporters of both parties start seeing these guys walk around together, talk together, maybe have a meal together, maybe have a beer together. Okay, if they shout at each other in a bar, fine. But, you know, at least they're together and trying to work it out a little bit better because, after all, we are the United States of America, and we do have to come together at some point. Thank you, Mike. 800-848-9222. Tom is in Floral Park. Hello, Tom. Hey, Dave, thanks for taking my call. It's actually Frank, but that's okay. I have, I have CST. What's that? It's common sense theorists. Okay. I think it's something to uh, think about in that terminology which I just gave you. Just be a common sense theorist. If it makes common sense, regardless of who gives an opinion of this and that, if it makes common sense and you theorize about it, and if it makes sense, that's the way it should be. That's what I think we lost in America right now. I, I think you're. No I think you're. You're onto something, Tom. There. How did we lose it? Yeah, listen. Just call, call yourself CST. You got Giuliani that goes on seven seventy every day. Common sense, you know, hour this and that. 
CST, common sense theorist, because the theory is of common sense. And right. It makes I, common I, sense. I understand. I, but other than saying I, common I, sense I, repeatedly, I, I, Tom, how do you think we got here to this point where things are so vitriolic and hyperbolic? I don't know. I mean, my father's 83. He's on his way out. And he actually says to me, he's glad he's on his way out. Because oh. what's happened in the last 10 years, he goes, I'm glad. I, 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 he goes, I'm not glad for my grandchildren and that. But he goes, I've never seen anything I've seen but the way everything is going right now. What a shame. I am so sorry to hear that. Uh, Tom, thank you. I'll, I'll see you at the CST meeting, right? Well, no, it's just it's just a name. Common sense theorist. Right, I, I get it. I, I, I wasn't right saying that was to go. literally going to I mean, to I like the way you talk, and you, you, you have a, a basically a common sense approach to everyone you talk to. So I just figured I'd give you that title. Uh, I'll it. take it, CST. Tom. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Again, I, I was joking when I said I'll see you at the CST meeting, but it's a metaphorical meeting. Uh, I am serious about this. This should be... Uh, a you know Richard Dreyfus has a new book out which I'm hoping to read and I'm hoping to get him on the program to talk about it all about bringing back civility and bringing back civics education I have talked about this consistently for a long time the need for greater civics education because people don't know the basics of what of the government but they also don't know how to behave in a civil manner with one another they don't know how to agree politely there everything is a war and again maybe i'm just as much a part of the problem as anybody as a guy that loves professional wrestling as uh but you know that's a show it's fake not about real world consequences like war and peace. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Johnny is in New Hyde Park. Hello, Johnny. Hey, Frank. How you doing? I got better examples of nastiness than the ones you're pointing out. How about with Hillary uh, with the basket full of deplorables? Uh, Biden when he got in front of the country and said that uh, the biggest terrorists were MAGA people. Yeah, and then, those uh, are all good. And how about uh, when Schumer, he's going to re- release a whirlwind on uh, the Supreme Court justice. That, and sure enough, somebody showed up at his door. Yeah, that's so right. I actually there. asked our guys to pull the audio of that because that was on my mind as well. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, this is not a partisan thing. I don't think one party has more of a monopoly on nastiness than the other. This is which is why that it's such a problem. If this was just, oh, it's just the left-wing people that are nasty, or if it's just the right-wing people that are nasty, all right, you can figure out how to deal with that by not rewarding that political movement with your vote. They're all nasty, and they're nasty to one another, and they gin up their supporters in thinking that their neighbors are their enemies. Why? And most important, how did we get out, how do we get out of here? 800-848-9222. Lisa is in Nutley. Hello, Lisa. Hey, Frank. Uh, good morning. Morning. Um, I think we got here from power and greed. Tell, uh, elaborate a little. Uh, okay. The more power they have, the more greedier they get. Like, let's talk about, let's use Joe Biden and the crime family. Okay. He started out how many years ago? 50 years ago. And he figured, okay, let me go do my thing. I need money. Oh, this is prestigious. It's like becoming an elite. And what the elites found is that They no longer talk to we the people. They walk around as if they own us and we're stupid. And then on top of it, you also have George Soros money, who's backing the media. 
I mean, it's, it's almost like a game to them. And the more you win, the more power and the more ego and the more greed fuels them. Yeah, I don't think. Um, all right. Well, maybe you're on to something. I just don't know. I think politicians were always ambitious. I think politicians were always greedy. I just don't know why, um, including some of the same people that you mentioned who got elected 35, 40 years ago, why they didn't behave this way then. But now now they do. And that's sort of what I don't necessarily uh, have a handle on. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. Very excited. We are going to be joined. We haven't spoken to him in a while because, honestly, the COVID pandemic is largely over and there hasn't been a big need to speak with him. But we're going to talk with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya in just a couple of minutes. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is one of the smartest people you will hear anywhere ever. He is a doctor, a medical doctor. He's also a Ph.D. in economics. He is a brilliant man who was censored by the federal government, and he was actually a plaintiff in the state of Missouri versus Biden, where you had the judge ruling on the limits of government control over of government social media control. So I'm looking forward to chatting with him. Joel in Manhattan. Hello. Hi, Frank. Uh, I think that, that part of the problem is that we just don't we've lost civility in language itself uh we're so quick to use negative words instead of you know something that's constructive or constructive criticism that that doesn't go to um to just plain old nastiness you know um back in the day people would get into duels about this sort of thing you know and maybe maybe that's the answer is to let it go to that level where not real, realistically where people duel to the death, but where they, they actually have like some kind of a, a physical challenge uh, just because of the absurdity of it all of it. And, you know, and we, we televise the whole thing. And maybe maybe on that level, you know, we'll, we'll start to wake up from this sad state we're in. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess I'm not I'm not clear on the genesis of it in your view. I, I understand what you okay. suggest. Well, let me let me clarify a little better. I think that I think that that people using curse words, for instance, more freely when they disagree with someone, I think that that's that's become like the norm, and it's become uh, how would you say? Oh, well, that's just uh, part of the nomenclature, or, the, or the, right. that's the wrong. You're word. right about that. I agree with but, you. That. Know, it is, and I think that that's part of it. It's just. It's gone to that level. And why do we have to go to that level? It's like there it's like using crutch words and things like that. And and instead consider that if you use those negative words, we're just digging ourselves a hole deeper and deeper and deeper. Right. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, curse word. It could be anything that that puts another individual down. So, Joe, I I think what you're saying is and I, I don't think I disagree with you. What you're saying is the culture as a whole has gotten more nasty and the political culture is a byproduct of that. I think that's fair to say. Yes, that's, that's interesting. That's pretty accurate. That's interesting. Uh, you might be right uh, on that, Joel. I think uh, I think I think there's some truth to that. I also think the media plays a role and uh, I think social media plays a role. I'm going to make an effort sincerely. And maybe this is to my own detriment. I am going to make an effort that the next time some 
political figure says something nasty, whether it's, uh, you know, any of the audio that I played you before or someone like Chuck Schumer. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. I'm going to make an effort not to play any audio of anything like that and not bring any attention to that. You know, I have a longstanding tradition of not talking about mass shootings or mass shooters because my fear is that other people that are dealing with some psychological issues or mental issues may hear this in the media, might hear this on the radio or on television or wherever else, and they might think, okay, this is their key to relevance. Well, the same thing is certainly true with politicians. Maybe... The fact that we on talk radio and in in television news or wherever else are always highlighting the nastiest rhetoric of people. Maybe that leads to politicians using nasty rhetoric so that they can be on TV and on radio. So I'm going to make an effort not to do that anymore. We'll see. All right. Um, very excited. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya joining me straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank morano i don't know that the decision by a federal judge in louisiana uh, the week before last has really sunk in with people because this is going to wind its way through the federal appellate courts and hopefully it'll be taken up by the supreme court and if it is if it is taken up by the supreme court this is going to be one of the most fundamentally important free speech decisions of all time, certainly in the 21st century, given how people communicate with one another. If you haven't followed this, a federal judge limited the government's ability to supervise social media content after it was alleged that the government had shut down dissent about covid policy. And one of the people that was affected by this was Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, one of the most brilliant men in the world, professor of medicine at Stanford University, research associate at the um, with the National Bureau of Economics Research. He's got a resume too long to list in all four hours. He's both an MD and a PhD, a brilliant man, and a guy who at the height of the COVID pandemic was saying something a little bit different than you were hearing from folks like Anthony Fauci and other entities within the government. Dr. Bhattacharya, it's great to talk to you again. It's been way too long. 
Thank you, Frank. Thank you for having me. And thank you for uh, for not censoring me during the pandemic. Really been uh, an honor to talk with you. The, the honor is all mine, believe me. Now, uh, give folks a little bit of uh, uh, some background. You were a plaintiff, one of the plaintiffs in this case. How exactly were were you censored? So uh, just to uh, to give you an example, Uh, in 2021, March of 2021, I participated in a policy roundtable hosted by Governor DeSantis in Florida. And in this roundtable, he asked me whether there was any high quality evidence that uh, that masking children as young as two actually had any effect whatsoever on the spread of COVID. And I'd done my homework. I'd like looked this up. And the answer is no, there are no randomized studies at all of whether masking has any effect of uh, masking children has any effect on, on spreading disease. I told him this, uh, there was a, a TV station that was filming this and they put this uh, film of a sitting governor of Florida receiving advice from his scientific advisors on which he's going to make decisions to the public. You know, something like I would think people would like good government would want. Uh, they put this on YouTube and uh, YouTube then censored the video of that of me talking to the governor of Florida on a, on a fundamental scientific policy question that, that uh, a lot that affected the, the lives of countless children and countless parents uh, who were deciding whether it was wise or not to mask up their you know, toddlers. Um, it, this happened over and over again, Frank, during the pandemic, you could state true facts about the sci- about what the scientific literature was saying, and then you would, you would get suppressed. You would get uh, a, a black mark put on you. I was put on a Twitter blacklist the day I joined Twitter, it turns out, uh, which made it so that my tweets would only be seen by a limited number of people. Um, the question is why? Well, by the way, was that known to you at the time? No, not, I didn't know that until Elon Musk bought Twitter you know, in, in 2020, late sure. 2022. Um, yeah, so I mean, like, you know, I, I, the, the, what the importance for me of this Missouri versus Biden case, or one of the pieces important, why it's so important to me, is that it revealed that it wasn't just an accident that these things were happening. It wasn't just these social media companies decided on their own that, to suppress scientific discussion. No, Frank, what happened was that the U.S. government told it what to suppress, who to suppress in many cases, uh, and threatened the viability of these companies in terms of, of you know, regulatory action by the U.S. government if they didn't comply. What happened was direct censorship of scientific discussion during the pandemic to create an illusion of consensus in favor of government policies, m- many of which were wrongheaded, many of which caused tremendous harm. Now, it's no secret that I'm completely in agreement with your position on this. And I I find in general the kind of the merging of government power with private sector power like these big tech companies incredibly troubling, almost Orwellian. But let me play devil's advocate. The government would be saying, look, we're just meeting with these big tech companies every two weeks. Uh, when Whenever they say biweekly, I never know if it's every two weeks or twice a week, but we're meeting with them in a biweekly basis and we're just giving them the facts as we know them. We're not forcing them to censor anyone. That's their decision. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with the government? government exercising or officials within the government exercising their freedom of speech to tell these big tech company honchos that um, what people like you were saying is full of bunk. Right. So, so a couple of things. So one is they weren't just doing that. They were, they were backing it up with direct threats of regulatory action if they didn't comply with the, with the demands. So there are emails from, 
aides to the pres- President Biden, to people in Facebook, Twitter, and so on, uh, essentially saying that, look, if you don't, if you don't do this, we're going we're gonna to go after you. So it's not, just, it's not just like a request. It's not just information. It was a threat. Um, the second thing, um, they, they, were, they weren't, if, if you're asking, like, can the government f- speak freely? You know, they have the bully pulpit, Frank. Uh, President Biden got up and said that if you don't censor, if you if you allow, you know, these 12, there's a bunch of 12, like 12, 12 people they identified as like particularly bad misinformation spreaders. If you allow, you know, he, he got up and said, if you don't, if you allow this kind of stuff on your platforms, you're killing people. So they had that bully pulpit, whether and Missouri, this, this Missouri versus Biden case, it doesn't stop them from having that. They can issue government reports. They can issue. They can say, you know, the, the, we agree with this these scientists and not all these other scientists. They're free to do that. They're the government. The First Amendment doesn't uh, protect the government's free speech. What it does is it protects the people's free speech from the power of the government suppressing it. How can the people suppress the government from speaking? There's just we don't have the power to do it. Well, as far as as you understand it, what is the next step in the appellate process? I know the uh, Biden administration has indicated they're they're appealing. Wh- when's the next time we'll hear something on this? Well, we just heard from the the, the federal judge that uh, that decided the case. He 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 has to he he had to decide on an appeal decision to stay the preliminary mm-hmm. injunction against, uh, and uh, he decided in our favor. It's now sitting at the Fifth Circuit. I suspect within a week or two or three, we'll hear uh, whether the Fifth Circuit agrees with the judge and us that the government doesn't have the right to violate free speech rights of Americans, or if it agrees with the government who thinks that if it doesn't, if it can't violate the First Amendment, somehow people's uh, safety is going to be harmed. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how this uh, how this goes. Do you think that with Elon Musk now controlling Twitter and some of the changes that he's already made and indicated that he'd like to make in the future, that the cause of free speech in the social media sphere is going to be strengthened? Or do you think the the strength of other companies like uh, Meta, Google and so forth, that is still such a a pro-censorship regime at those companies that it really doesn't matter what Elon Musk does? I, I think free speech is one of those things where it just takes one, right? If you have a if you have a platform that's actually free, um, you can have a hundred platforms that are like essentially government mouthpieces, and people will listen to the free platform because they really want they want a, a, an actual debate, they want actual discussion. Uh, I think it's tremendously important what Elon Musk has done. It, it's it's basically told the government to go take a flying leap, um, so that people can speak freely without having to worry about being, you know, this thumb thumb of the government saying, no, you can't say that. Um, You know, it's not like free speech means everything that's said on Twitter is true. I mean, very far from that. Right. Um, But but what it does mean is that people are free to say things and also get people free to correct people, other people when they say wrong things. That's how it's always been in the United States, right? That's how that's kind of sort of a founding civic religion of the United States. Um, I'm really shocked that this is an issue at all. I'm surprised that the Biden administration um, did this. In, in a sense, it's it's so antithetical to the uh, the best traditions of of, of 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 American governance. Let's say somebody says, not you, because I think through the prism of hindsight, the things that you were saying during the pandemic have certainly been borne out. But 
Let's say someone is on one of these social media platforms and they're saying something that is blatantly untrue and potentially potentially dangerous. I mean, what comes to mind is the uh, some things regarding the Pizzagate uh, scandal and things of that nature. Or let's say somebody says something silly that's factually inaccurate, like uh, birds aren't real. These are actually drones sent by the government to spy on you. Should the government have the ability to speak with the entities that are housing these tweets or these Facebook updates and say, by the way, you have a whole bunch of people on your platform that are peddling information that's simply inaccurate? So a couple of things about that. So one is that um, the danger is that the government would use that power to suppress criticism of its own misinformation. Sure. That actually happened during the pandemic, right? But, you know, so, for instance, the idea that if you get COVID and recover, you have substantial immunity. The government put out misinformation that that, that wasn't true and, and used its power to suppress criticism of that misinformation. Like if you wrote that on Twitter, you could get you know, blocked or whatever. Um, uh, so that, that's one thing. The second thing is, I mean, like fundamentally, Frank, the issue is one of trust. If you have a government that's trustworthy, then it could say, no, no, these aren't these aren't uh, these birds are actually drones and everyone would believe them because they're trustworthy. When you have a government that suppresses and censors the way the American government has, you destroy trust in it. Censorship is something that governments do when they're no longer trustworthy. And. That's what's happened here is that, is that uh, the, the American government lost control of the narrative because American government put out lie after lie after lie on COVID lies about the efficacy of masking lies about the usefulness of the vaccine to prevent you from getting the disease. You know, tons of people have gotten vaccinated, have gotten the disease. I, I did um, lies about the efficacy of, of immunity after COVID of recovery, you know, natural immunity uh, lie after lies about the necessity of lockdowns, the harms of school closures on topic after topic in COVID, the government got it wrong and they use their power to censor criticism of the government. Um, no wonder they can't just say the truth. People don't believe them because they're not trustworthy. The solution to that isn't censorship. The, tr- the solution to that is to become trustworthy. This is the first time that we've uh, spoken since Anthony Fauci has been a private citizen. There's been a lot of discussion and a lot of debate about his legacy as uh, the head of the National Institute of uh, uh, Infectious Diseases for you know decades now. As far as you're concerned, what do you think Anthony Fauci's legacy to the country and to history is? Well, I think I think people will look back at, at his leadership on HIV and other things. And I think most for the most part, I think people will look back somewhat positive. Other people do have criticisms of him. Um, I think they'll look back at his, at his leadership on COVID and think of it as a as a complete and utter disaster that he led the country down a path that led to catastrophic harm to American school children that did not protect the elderly from COVID. And then, and this is the probably will most likely be his ultimate legacy, if it turns out to be right. If in fact, this virus was, was uh, this pandemic was caused by a virus that was a result of scientific experiments that Tony Fauci's NIAID supported, people remember him as, as not just the author of the lockdowns, but also the author of the pandemic. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly looking more and more like that's the case. Dr. Bhattacharya, it is always a treat to talk with you. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the uh, lawsuit. Please keep us posted, not only on this, but everything else you're up to. Thank you so much, Frank, for having me. Thank you for, throughout the pandemic, letting me have a voice. No, it's uh, my pleasure. Our audience is fortunate enough that you were kind enough to come on with me. Thank you. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, you can uh, check him out on Twitter. He is on Twitter. I just uh, tweeted at him, so you could follow me on Twitter, at Frank Morano, and I uh, tagged him in a tweet. And uh, uncensored now so it's uh, always a treat to have him all right comments questions thoughts be my guest 800-848-9222 800-848-9222 this is the other side of midnight straight ahead the other side of midnight it's the other side of midnight with frank morano I pleaded to you not to go but to stay in my arms. Would you walk out the door like you did once before? But this time be different. Would you stay? Don't go. Please stay. Don't go. Please if stay. I call out your name. Like a prayer in the night Would you leave me alone With my tears Knowing I I love you so Would you still The Drifters Singing Please Stay Nobody better than The Drifters Am I right? Alright uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, 800-848-9222, if you want to comment on uh, anything we're talking about. You know what's annoying about this new uh, Twitter that anybody can just buy verification? You know, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya it was kind enough to retweet me and tell people to listen, which every guest should do. It's very kind. It's the gentlemanly thing to do. I do that when I'm on shows, and they tag me in a tweet. It's nice. It's polite. So um, one person who... I thought was Elon Musk says next time make it Twitter spaces and they got the verification thing. And then I see, Oh, okay. It's not Elon Musk. It's a fake Elon Musk that has a verification check mark that he paid for. And if you look closely at his handle, it says, I am not Elon Musk. So, um, years ago, pre this verification payment situation, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't do that. You just have to, you'd actually know you were interacting with, the real person, but that's neither here nor there. Am I right? All right. Uh, I got to tell you, last night, just a few hours ago, I had one of the most interesting dining experiences I've ever I've ever tried. I went to something called Dining in the Dark, and it was at a restaurant in uh, New Jersey run by Celebrity chef David Burke, who's a friend of mine, who um, he's been on this show and we'll, we'll have him back soon. He's an interesting guy. And it's so cool. I went my wife couldn't make it. So I went with my friend Vinny. And you sit at a table with other people. You're blindfolded through the whole meal and everyone else is blindfolded through the whole meal. So not only they have to tell you what you're eating, uh, where 
to put your where your food is and where your drink is. They'll say, all right, in the top of your plate is 12 o'clock. Your water glass is at 2 o'clock. <laughs> and then I'll tell you, all right, the, the, what what's on your plate now can be eaten with your hands. What's on your plate now can be eaten with a fork. And I really, just as you might think it does, it um it really does enhance the tasting experience. And what I really liked about it, and I was talking to David Burke about it, there's no, nobody's looking at their phone during the dinner. You're, first of all, you're pretty focused on making sure you're finding your food and drink and eating it, but no one's looking at their phone. You're talking with everybody else at the table. It's a great way to meet new people. So it's interesting. I'm going to try and get them to advertise on this, uh, on this program so that I could talk more about the concept because, you know, it's kind of a novelty. I don't know that you need to do it more than once, but it was cool. I'm going to encourage, they're doing it again at the end of this month. I'm going to try and get my mom to go, uh, because it was, it was neat. It was kind of a fun thing. It was different, but, um, my friend Vinny, who I was with, he said that he was so anxious because he's somebody that likes to be very much in control and it took a, he enjoyed the food and everything, but he said he, he thought it took away a little bit from his experience of enjoying the food because he was so nervous about not being able to see anything or see anyone. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. By the way, speaking of smells and things of that nature, do you remember a few weeks ago, I told you about this trend that was sweeping TikTok of people either peeling or eating an orange in the shower. And apparently what that was supposed to do is that was supposed to create some incredible citrus smell that was almost like aroma therapy. Well, I didn't have any oranges, but I did have a clementine or it might have been a tangerine. but. I think it was a, I think it was, I think it was a tangerine actually. I had a tangerine and I tried this same thing in the shower. I didn't smell anything. Now I'm not, my sense of smell is not the best. Maybe it would work better for somebody else. I don't think so. I think that whole thing is a sham. I'm curious if anyone else tried that to eat or an orange or peel an orange while you're, while you're in the shower. And I kept the orange in there, the orange or the uh, tangerine in there. It's in there half consumed in my shower no difference i'm gonna throw it away later today though all right 800-848-9222-800-848-9222 roger is in baltimore hello roger well hey man first on the uh on the uh eating in the dark that's what we used to call dates in high school but anyway (laughs) never mind that um okay so on the civility the discourse uh lack of it uh, I'll tell you, uh, a couple of friends of mine are personal friends and members of Congress told me this, and it makes a lot of sense. And they talked about the gerrymandering of districts all over the country, Republican states, Democratic states, both both state legislatures have done it for decades now. What that has done is, as versus 50 years ago, there's very few districts that are contested anymore. Mm. They're heavily Democrat or heavily Republican, so that when you're running in the primary, and you're of whatever party that is that is in the majority, you're not going to make it unless you're more extreme. If you're talking about, you know, you know, uh, cozying up to the other party to, to meet halfway, right. you're not going to be elected. You're not going to make it through the primary and you're definitely not going to be elected to the general. And so I, I can just tell you from people who've told me who are sitting currently in Congress. Uh, in fact, one of them is a very good friend of mine, personal first name basis. He told me this is a reality all across the country, and it is 
killed civil discourse among the members of Congress. There's, you know, all that, you know, slap back, slapping and powwowing. It's way, way less than it used to be. Way less. You know, I believe everything that you just said. And I actually raised this with Ed Koch before he passed away because he was very interested in the, the gerrymandering issue and did a lot about it. The... So you think it's as simple as that, just gerrymandering, creating one party districts, and you have to be the most extreme member of your party to get nominated and then elected. It's as simple as that. Uh, I don't know if it's totally that, you know, it's most of these things are multifactorial, but he's he uh, two guys very personally. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say because I'm not speaking on authorization from them, but they told me this directly that one's a Democrat, one's a Republican. In fact, that. um that it has been a major, major contributor to the discord, uh, one party against the other over the, you know, increasing over the decades. I think that's pretty interesting, Roger. And uh, I think there might be some truth to that. Thank you. I'm all for ending gerrymandering tomorrow. I mean, I, th- I think that's just atrocious. And I've always been very vocal on that. Eva is in Florida. Hello, Eva. Hi. Hi. I'm talking because I believe that it's uh, the fear of God. We've taken the fear of God out of everything. People not afraid of anything. And then we have, I'll say, George Soros uh, in particular and all people that think like him. Uh, they're godless. And so our country is being run by a lot of people who are just godless. They have no fear of anything. Yeah, I'm 75 years old, and I was raised in the United States. I was born in Puerto Rico. I came here when I was three years old. Eva, I'm sorry. We're we're out of time. I, I appreciate that. I think the temptation to blame just Trump or just George Soros is really short sighted because it's on both sides. And anybody that says that. It's only on one side is being naive. All right. um, A lot more to get to. Your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Too much about these transgender issues that everybody seems to get so worked up over because I I feel like it's almost kind of playing to the cheap seats. And I feel like the media discussion of it is a much greater problem than it, it actually is in life. It's a much it's a much greater prevalence in the media, I should say, than problem than than it is in society at large. But when. It makes sense to talk about it. I do. We had Ollie London in studio. We had Ollie London when he was non-binary. And then we had him in studio again when he was a man again. And I think when you're talking about children, that's one thing. And I was very critical of the state of New Jersey for actually preventing three New Jersey school districts from talking, from informing the parents of transgender students that, hey, by the way, your child is now transgender. That's the kind of thing a parent should know. 
But the one area where I absolutely see the reason people get so worked up over this is sports. I think it is totally unfair for people that were born males to be competing in competitive sports with people that were born females. There's no way that those folks should be judged on the same level. It just should not happen. And whether it's swimming, whether it's running, I mean, think about boxing, right? Can you imagine a fighter like a, a Floyd Mayweather or a, a Manny Pacquiao or a Mike Tyson or Evander Holyfield boxing against a someone that was born a woman and is now a transgender man? I, I mean, come on. It's just when you look at it that way, it's absolutely absurd. Well, U.S. soccer star uh, Megan, I'm, I'm never sure if it's Rapinoe or Rapino. Kenneth, do you know if it's Rapinoe or Rapino? You don't know either. Okay, I think it's I think it's Rapinoe. Um, Megan Rapinoe, she said in an interview that questioning transgender participation in women's sports is harmful. And she talked about remarks made by tennis lend, uh, by tennis legend Martina Navratilova and ESPN anchor Sage Steele, who believe transgender woman women should not be competing against biological females in sports. And Rapinoe also she she basically is okay with competing against transgender women. When Martina or Sage or whoever are talking about this. People aren't hearing it just in the context of elite sports. They're saying, the rest of my life, this is how I'm going to treat trans people. First of all, I don't think that's true at all. Uh, Navratilova has been an activist for the gay community for many years, but she's also against transgender women participating and competing against biological women in sports. I don't think that's at all inconsistent. I think you can take the position that transgender people should be respected and that, okay, whatever they want to do, let them do, fine. But you can also say someone that has that much more muscle mass or that much more testosterone should not be competing in a swimming competition or a track meet of some sort with someone that was born and has always been a woman. I don't think it's transphobic to say that transgender people shouldn't compete with biological men and women. And um, Navratilova in March applauded world athletics for adopting a policy to exclude transgender female athletes from women's competitions. She called it a step in the right direction. She said at the time, or she wrote at the time in an op-ed for the times of the UK In the wake of World Athletics announcement, I think the best idea would be to have biological female and biological girls category and then an open category. Completely agree. Nobody's saying that transgender people shouldn't be able to participate in sports, but you should participate with other transgender people. I don't think that's a crazy thing at all. ESPN anchor Sage Steele has expressed her support for former NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines for her advocacy to keep women's sports fair. 
Steele declared that she stands with Gaines and called what has occurred with trans people overtaking women's sports ridiculous, heartbreaking, difficult to watch. And she adds the hashtag on social media, save women's sports. For Rapinoe, she went as far as to say she would absolutely accept a transgender woman on the U.S. women's national team. You're taking a real woman's place. That's part of the argument that's still extremely transphobic. I see trans women as real women. What you're saying automatically in the argument, you're sort of telling on yourself already, is you don't believe these people are women. Therefore, they're taking the other spot. I don't feel that way. That's what she said. Now, I'm not going to get into the the idea of whether or not these people are women or not. However. Let's face it. If you were born a man and you're now a woman, you're different physically. You are different physically than the other women on that U.S. women's national soccer team. And why should someone who is not as fast, not as strong and doesn't kick a ball as hard, who was always a woman, be denied a spot that they would have otherwise gotten? Because someone who was a man and would not have been able to make that men's soccer team is getting that spot. I think she's way off base on this one. She was one of 40 professional athletes to co-sign a letter to House lawmakers in April in opposition of the Protection of Girls and Women's in Sports Act, arguing that the bill would exclude women and girls from getting mental and physical health benefits. I don't know a lot about that particular Bill, but I want to emphasize, I don't care what gender you want to say you are. Be whatever gender you are. Also, the whole Bud Light thing, I didn't care about that. I didn't drink Bud Light before that. I didn't drink it after that. Makes no difference to me what Bud Light wants to do, who they want to use as a spokesperson. God bless you. Whatever you want to do. But when you're talking about forcing people to compete on a level playing field, when they clearly should not be competing on a level playing field. That's a totally different ball game. That, that goes way beyond acceptance. That goes way beyond being kind to people. You're talking now about one, denying a place to someone in a sport that should have had one. And two, giving a competitive disadvantage to the people that that biological male was competing against. I don't think that's um I don't think that's a stretch at all. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on this 800-848-9222. The other thing that was interesting and I thought equally off base is Megan Rapinoe taking aim at the comedian Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle has made some jokes about transgender folks jokes like this one transgenders against us i used to do business with a transgender in hollywood man everybody would be scared of her in the boardroom she walk in there newly minted woman high heels purse wouldn't say anything to us just walk around the conversation table looking mean as <laughs> then she walked to the head of the conversation stare at us all Reaching a person, pull her old out and throw it on the table. 
Let's talk business, gentlemen. Now, those are jokes. He's a comedian. That's not meant to be taken as the literal truth. She told Time Magazine, Megan Rapinoe, in Megan Rapino. Rapino. Is Rapino? Megan Rapino. Not Rapinoe? All right. Well, Rapino. I felt I felt I was going to say Rapino, and then I don't know, for whatever reason, it, it just it, it hits the ear wrong. But Megan Rapino told Time magazine in this interview that was published on Monday. I don't want to mince words about it. Dave Chappelle making jokes about trans people directly leads to violence, whether it's verbal or otherwise against trans people. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No more than someone telling jokes about Polish people, black people, Irish people, Catholics, Jews leads to violence towards that group. Sometimes jokes are just jokes. He's a comedian. He's not meant to be giving marching orders to a gang of marauding thugs. And if you are part of a gang of marauding thugs that's taking your marching orders from a comedian, you're uh, probably uh, a few aces short of a full deck. And it's not Dave Chappelle's fault if that's the case. I think she's way out of line on both of these things. Now, I know we have a lot of transgender listeners, and I would love to hear from them. And I'm not going to argue with anybody or shout anybody down, but I would be genuinely curious about your view on this issue. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. In terms of one, uh, Megan Rapino's comments that she thinks it's just fine that transgender women could be on the U.S. women's national soccer team and that she would compete against them. She also thinks that uh, Dave Chappelle's jokes, like the one I just played for you, are leading to violence. I don't agree with either. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Tony in Florida. Hello, Tony. Hi, Frank. It's a real pleasure. Likewise. I wanted to say a couple things. One is uh, I'm totally against women, well, men that are women, uh, competing against real women because the reason they're so much stronger is because their muscle mass is more dense, so that gives them more strength. So even if they take hormones, it's not going to change the muscle density. Right. So they're always going to have that advantage. And shame on any women who stand up for these people because they should be on the side of the natural women because they're basically cheating. And then another thing that really drives me nuts is forcing young women, especially in high school, to share their locker rooms with transgender girls and their bathrooms because young girls to begin with are uncomfortable with their bodies and embarrassed to even change in front of each other. But to have to do it in front of a transgender woman is humiliating. Not to mention there are many cases where these young girls have been raped by these transgender women. And it's the same thing with older women. They wouldn't want to share a bathroom, you know, with, with a, uh, a, a woman that was born a man, it would make me extraordinarily uncomfortable and feel unsafe. Tony, thank you. I appreciate the call. 800-848-9222. Eddie. Oh, before I get to Eddie, 
I did want to play for you this. Robert Downey Jr. is uh, promoting a film called Oppenheimer, which uh, I hear is pretty good. I, I haven't uh, I haven't seen it, but I will see this. I don't know if I'll make a trip to the movie theaters to see it, but this reminded me as we're talking about gender and everything. But he's promoting this film called Oppenheimer, which I think, as you might imagine, has to do with nuclear weapons. It's a Christopher Nolan film. It's a big deal. And in a recent interview, he talked about why women should run the planet. Listen to this. I was curious if you took away any, like, commentary on, like, patriarchy and war. Um, Men start wars, and the entire planet should be a matriarchy. (laughs) But I've never changed position on that. So that was, you already had that going into this. Well, this was just a triple confirmation. <laughs> now, I, I don't, I'm not going to judge what he said too literally there. It sounds like it was said in kind of a lighthearted tone. However, however, can you imagine if Robert Downey Jr. or anyone had said the opposite that that the world should be a patriarchy and there shouldn't be female leaders. There have been very bloodthirsty female leaders. Mary I of England, they, the one they called Bloody Mary. She was brutal. Queen Isabella of Castile, she was rough. So women are just as capable of being tough and being violent as world leaders as uh as men are so i don't go for this as robert and again maybe he's just joking but i don't go for as robert downey jr was saying well all women should run the world and everything would be just uh just peaches and rainbows i don't buy that at all but i also think the media reaction to his remarks would be much different had he said the opposite had he picked a different gender I'm curious what you think about that as well. All right. Uh, weigh in on anything you like. 800-848-9222. Paul is in Connecticut. Hello, Paul. Hi. Good morning, Frank. It, when, when you're talking about the female athletes, on, uh, there was a good movie that came out years ago, G.I. Jane. Yeah, I saw that. To me more. The Seals. And, yep. And uh, they'd say gender norming, where the male person is definitely physically stronger. And they would take off, you know, when the female person would do the same training that they would be, say, 15 push-ups, they'd have to do 10 with, like, pull-ups, maybe five instead of 15. But uh, it is, I think it's unfair that the males are able to compete with the females. Yeah, I mean, again, I thank you, Paul. I, in the case of G.I. Jane, if I remember that, and again, it's been 23 years since I saw that film, but if I remember that, the character of G.I. Jane, she went and did the same things that all the men did. And I think that's different than if you're moving the goalposts, but I feel like that's a separate discussion than, well, maybe it's not, uh, but I think that's a separate discussion than having someone that's a biological male, someone who may even have male genitalia, but calls themselves a woman, compete in a sport against people that are women and have always been women. I don't think that's right. And I think that Megan Rapinoe is way out of line by calling out these prominent female figures who, honestly, I think demonstrated a lot of courage in saying what they were saying in their um 
you know, in their comments about this, given the current climate. Eddie is in Ocean County. What's on your mind, Eddie? Hi, Frank. It's good to talk to you. Thanks. Um, I have two points to make. First of all, uh, I think it's totally inconsistent to say that uh, wa- transgender people uh, are what they say to be. But then on the other hand, they can't uh, perform in the sport uh, category uh, that they profess to be in. Yeah, you if might you're... be right. You might be right. It is inconsistent. Um, but I- I'm of the belief that whatever you want to be called, uh, I'll call you Shirley. If you want me to call you Shirley, you want to be a he, you want to be a they. I don't I, I don't care unless it affects other people or or the integrity of an institution. And I think when you're talking about biological males competing against biological females and calling that women's sports, it totally erodes the integrity of that institution. Right. And my second point is, don't you care about the culture at all? I mean, you say you don't care what Bud Light is putting in their ads. Corporatism does uh, affect the culture, and we should care to have a culture that reflects moral values. Yeah, I, I mean, I I guess I don't define the culture by Bud Light commercials, right? I mean, That's so right, if I, mean, I don't, I don't is, care what they do in those commercials. If I like the product, I'm going to use the product. I understand that, but there are you see there are two forces in this country pulling in two directions. One of them is going to have to win in the, at the end of the day, and I'm assuming you would, you have uh, you know your own set of standards that w- what you would like uh, to be our country america yeah my my overall philosophy is a live and let live approach everybody should be nice to one another everybody should respect one another nobody should uh nobody should uh, use violence against one another just don't don't bother me that's it's kind of pretty libertarian in that respect that's that's my overall philosophy i don't know what side of the culture war that puts me on 800-848-9222 and you know i have uh people that are transgender that i've known over the years my wife too she has a, a pretty pretty close friend that is uh that that is transgender and you know if that's their choice great fine whatever but when you're talking about competitive sports it's a different world and by the way i respect that people might have a different view that's why i asked for calls from our transgender listeners but don't act like megan rapino is acting get on your high horse and start pointing the finger at people that may have a different point of view than you have because their point of view has been the dominant point of view for thousands of years not yours. So don't act like because they're consistent with what the norms of sporting is, then they're the weirdos. No. Okay. Just, you can disagree. You don't have to, you don't have to make it so personal. And where she is on this Dave Chappelle thing, I think is way off base. All right. 800-848-9222. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano straight ahead. And don't call me Shirley. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
FM, the Vandellas. If you want to know what kind of music we're playing on this program, you can go to our Facebook group. Uh, join that on uh, Murano Radio Fans and Haters. Just search that on Facebook and you will be able to find it. M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And if you are... Um, by the way, uh, one of the people that we're hoping to get to uh, play some of their birthday bumper music selections is actually on the line right now, David in the Bronx. David, happy birthday. Yes, thank you. I'm now officially 52 years old. Happy birthday. Over the I hope all your wishes come true. Yeah, thank you. I hope so, too, Frank. Um, let, let me just say two things. On the issue of the trans women um, in locker rooms and bathrooms, because one of your calls brought this up, we need to reach some type of accommodation. And I don't know what it is, because let's be honest, a trans woman is not going to feel comfortable or probably be safe in a men's locker room either. Mm -hmm. All right. So we need to figure out some way so that these people can express themselves the way they wish, but also be safe. And I'm concerned that a lot of the people who call this station and other places don't consider that these people are human beings, too, and they should be safe and be um, not tolerated, accepted, because toleration is like if a pair of shoes don't fit and you wear them. That's not, that's not how you should be thinking of other people, okay? Now, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, I think, is a horrible, ignorant, disgusting individual who used the N-word the last time he was on Saturday Night Live, which I thought was highly objectionable. And what I'm concerned about is the type of humor that he does, which I think is vicious and nasty, um, puts people out there where they can be ridiculed by others. Because, you know, growing up on Long Island in the 1970s and 80s, a lot of the racial stuff that I heard uh, in the school that I went to was repeats of jokes and racial slurs that people had heard on, on comedy programs or whatever. I, I'm worried about the mental health of people that are trans. I, I think that we don't consider them, uh, you know, as equals in a lot of ways. I mean, there are people who call this station. Uh, I don't know if Norm is on hold, but there are people like this who say that these people are unbalanced and they're mentally disturbed. That is not the way we should be addressing our fellow Americans. And I think this goes back, and I don't mean to go on, I'm sorry. It's just I feel passionate about this because as an oppressed minority, or used to be, I have empathy for people that feel that they're being discriminated against unfairly. Yeah, I, and I, I think trans I, people feel that way, yeah, and that it's I not have, unjustified. Yeah, I have no doubt that that's true. But come back. The one thing that I know you you omitted in commenting on everything that you just mentioned is the issue of uh, transgender folks in sports. Where do you come down on that? And irrespective of where you come down on that, do you think that uh, maybe Megan Rapino was a little out of line by saying that people that think biological males shouldn't compete with biological females, she by taking a shot at them? Okay. I think maybe, you know, she's entitled to her opinion because sure. this is America, but, but Martina Navratilova has a valid opinion also. And I'll say this, when I, like I mentioned before about an accommodation, obviously there is a fairness issue here. And I think what's going to end up happening is that, like you said, we're going to have to have like an open league or a, a league specifically for trans women because it is not fair uh, to have biological men competing against biological women. It's just not fair. And they can't compete against other men either. So 
I think we're going to have to have some type of, of set aside where people who feel that they're transgender will can compete against each other. Yeah. Because, and I know it sounds, you know, I, I feel funny saying this because I know there were people back in the day who thought black athletes should have their separate leagues like they used to. I don't see this as the same. I think there is a difference here. Of course there is. And I, I think, right, exactly. And I, I think that, you know, fair-minded people need to stop demonizing each other. And let's think of some way where at least the majority of people involved can be happy and not upset and angry and, and having these issues. Yeah, thank you. You know, by the way, just listening to him mention that, I had this on my list, and I wasn't going to mention it, but since he brought up the black versus white thing, let me mention this. New York University, my alma mater, hosted a months-long anti-racism workshop geared towards white public school parents that allegedly barred people of color from joining in. And legal experts are claiming this is a violation of civil rights law, according to a report. So this was a, a six-month-long workshop. Basically, I'm, I'm simplifying, simplifying it. This is not how they termed it. But it's basically teaching white people not to be racist and how to teach them not to trigger black people. That's the workshop. And it was only for white people. And basically, if you listen to what some of the people that were attending this were saying, they say, oh, I'm so glad there's no black people here because we can say, you know, we can learn and we can not worry about offending anybody. But this series cost $360 per person, and it was hosted by the Education Justice Research and Organizing Collaborative at NYU Metro. And this is where, and I'm all for tolerance, this is where. The I don't even like to use the term wokeism, but I, I can't think of a better term that fits what this is. This is where wokeism is identical to racism. It is true that the motives of the people that ran the Jim Crow South were very different than the motives of the people that ran this six month long workshop. But when you have this workshop designed specifically for white public school parents in New York City committed to this is how they brand it designed specifically for white public school parents in New York City committed to becoming anti-racist and to collaboratively building equitable, powerful, multiracial parents, communities in their schools. And it began in February. The listing has been taken down for the workshop online, but until recently, anybody could look at it. And there was a sign-up sheet that said it was designed for white parents. It does not expressly state that people of color were forbidden from joining, but organizers distributed a handout to participants days before the first workshop titled Why a White Space, which lists the reasons for hosting a white-only group discussion. And, I mean, there was no bones about the fact that this was meant to be a white-only workshop. And this is clearly a violation of uh, the civil rights law. And the fact that they thought that this would help the cause of race relations in this country is beyond me. Absolutely beyond me. 800-848-9222. Comment on anything you like. Nancy is in Manhattan. Hello, Nancy. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Nancy. I'm glad to hear that. And Frank, Frank Morano, not Frank Morano. 
<laughs> I'm pronouncing it correctly, unlike so many other people on the station. Anyway, um, I wanted to pick up on something that David from the Bronx was saying, and happy birthday, David. And that is, this is a fairness issue. It's not a liberal, conservative, right. social, cultural issue. It's purely a fairness issue. I guess you could extend it to say it's a respect issue as well. Um, and just to get more granular in a way that I don't hear in this conversation, and that is not just you know, testosterone, uh, muscle mass issues, but men tend to have, biological males, I should say, tend to have broader shoulders, bigger hands, bigger feet, greater height, and therefore greater arm length, leg length, you know, different uh, body mass index, which affects running ability, swimming ability, all of that. And, you know, I'd make the point as well that even in boxing, where you have the same gender, you know, separations. Now I think there are 17 weight classes. There used to be eight. Um, you don't have a lightweight boxer boxing a heavyweight boxer, right? right? I right. mean, it's a weight issue, but it's also that the, the, the heavier boxer is, is, you know, bigger, is typically taller, can overtake the lightweight boxer because of their greater height, their longer arms, um, and so on. And so, I just really want to emphasize, and to me, it seems like it's a common sense issue, but I'm just trying to be respectful per, per, you know, per your earlier points about courtesy and disagreement. But I think for all of these reasons, it's, it, 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 to me, it just should be a common sense you know, I, issue. I agree, really, I agree completely with you, Nancy. It's a fairness, fairness issue. What about what David said in terms of his reaction to David Chappelle's jokes, kind of poking fun at uh, at transgender people. I thought they were kind of relatively harmless jokes, and if they were aimed at my gender or my ethnic group or my race, I think I would feel the same way. Uh, David thought they were a, a little bit uh, out of line and that his humor is a little bit out of line. W- what do you make of Megan Rapinoe or Rapinoe's uh, criticism of uh, of Dave Chappelle that seemed to have been echoed by David there? Right. Well, Frank, so to, to, to stay with the fairness theme, I have not heard Dave Chappelle's jokes. You know, I'd, I'd like to hear them in the context in which they're made and so on to opine, opine on that. I, I would say, generally speaking, I think we've gotten a lot, you know, too sensitive. I think that I think people are afraid. And again, I haven't heard his specific jokes, but I just think that we kind of have to not I think that we have to take jokes in the spirit in which they're intended, which is they are, you know, jokes. And I think that we've gotten a little, I would say, almost too soft, a little too a little, sensitive, absolutely. a little too precious. And I think that we need to just, you know, I think it also goes to the, the, the point that you're afraid to say anything anymore to somebody. You can't say, oh, you look nice today. I like your shirt. I like you. You just you can't say anything today. So I think I think in general, I think the pendulum has gone too far in that direction. Yeah. Well, um, well said. Uh, yeah. Well said, Nancy. Nancy, thank you. Call again, please. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. She she was good callers. Solid phone line. Sounds good. Good points. Not annoying. You know, there's not no radio on in the background. That see, that's a textbook. Perfect phone call, as far as I'm concerned. 800-848-9222. Hey, you know what? Um, you know what my wife and I are doing this weekend? We are making our annual. It's not quite annual because I don't know that we went last year, but it's an almost annual trip to the Hamptons. We are going out there Friday after the program and spending Friday night out there. And then we're going to drive back probably Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. 
staying with uh, a friend of ours who has a, a house out there. And I'm looking forward to going. I know um, the traffic is always bad when you go out there on Friday. And I'm much more of a Jersey Shore guy. I like Atlantic City. I like Cape May. I like, uh, you know, all the different Jersey Shore towns. But I find the Hamptons is pretty good once a year, once a year. And it, honestly, it's um, hopefully there's just nice weather and you're going to socialize with friends and, and things like that. So it really doesn't matter where you end up. But it's nice to have a once once a year trip to the Hamptons. I know people get all into the Hamptons and um, I'm much more of a Jersey Shore guy. I find the Hamptons, the people that go there all the time, they're very into being bougie. They're very into being hoity-toity. There's almost an element of elitism. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I find that that's not the case with the Jersey Shore. The Jersey Shore is almost a little bit more working class, if that makes sense. That being said, you know, I'm going to hang out with the elites for a day, maybe. I mean, uh, with Carmine, he demands elite treatment wherever we go, so that'll be fun. It, it was interesting I was tasked, not yesterday because I was at this dining in the dark situation, but the day before, I was tasked with barbecuing shrimp skewers or shrimp kebabs. And I, uh, my wife prepared these shrimp kebabs and then these skewers, and I take them out to the barbecue, which now has a full tank of propane, which I filled at a local hardware store, even though it would have been less expensive to simply go to Lowe's. Didn't do it. Went to the local hardware store, paid a few dollars more happily, proudly. And I grilled the shrimp skewers, did a fine job, I think, grilling the shrimp skewers, brought them in. We ate them, Carmine ate them, Rachel ate them, I ate them, we enjoyed them. End of situation, as far as I'm concerned, or so I thought. A little while later, I'm outside with my neighbors, and my wife comes out to join us, and she says, why was Bathsheba, that's our cat, who goes outside in the back, she's both an indoor and an outdoor cat, why was Bathsheba eating one of the shrimp skewers in the backyard? I said, was it cooked or uncooked? She said it was cooked. And apparently one of them fell. So I guess seven were made and one fell off the plate that I was serving him on. And Bathsheba got a little bit of a feast. So she was mildly annoyed at that. Mildly annoyed. Then I got this griddle recently for the grill. And it's good for things that need a griddle maybe if you were to barbecue a, a pizza or something that um, th- that doesn't go neatly you know if you want to do salmon which we do and get like a nice crispy skin on the salmon the griddle is good for that and that's what i did for its first use i did not clean the griddle right away i learned from a friend of mine who has a similar griddle that there are very specific methodologies that you have to use to clean this griddle I didn't do that. A week or two later, I cleaned the griddle, but there's still a little bit of, I don't know, marks of what was cooked there previously. It does not look spotless because I had left that kind of gunk on that griddle, and it's kind of baked in to the griddle now. It's And again, it's minor. It's little, little, little salmon marks. And then <clears throat> after the last time we used it, I cleaned it, but it's fine. There's still those little, little, little salmon marks. Then this time around, 
I cleaned, I, no, I didn't clean it. I used the, the shrimp skewers. I used the griddle. We go in, we eat them. We go, we put the Carmine to bed and I'm resuming working on the program, doing some computer work. And my wife asks about cleaning the griddle. And this should have been my first clue. I should have known that when she asked about cleaning it, that I should have just gotten the griddle and then cleaned it. But my attitude was, okay, I'll clean it later or tomorrow or in two days or in three days or in a week. So Rachel knows that's sort of my modus operandi when it comes to cleaning things. For me, cleaning is not an urgent top of line priority. Cleaning is something you do after the things that need to urgently get done for that day are done. For my wife, cleaning is part of that, those things that need to urgently get done. So then she starts cleaning the griddle. She goes out in the back, gets this griddle, it's on the barbecue, and she starts cleaning it with the instructions that I've now looked up. One drop of dish soap and hot water, she lets it soak, and she's not at all happy that those initial salmon marks that from our first use of this two or three months ago have not disappeared. So that was not a pleasant scene in the Murano household, I will tell you. That was our first griddle-induced argument, I must say. And, uh, you know, so I don't know if we're going to make a habit of using the griddle going forward, because a lot of times it's just simpler to use the standard grill. But if there's something that absolutely requires a griddle, I'll be, maybe I'll turn it over. That's what you do when you spill wine on a couch cushion, right? You just turn it over. Good as new. Maybe I'll try that with a griddle, see how that works. All right, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls and more straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. is an integral part of the soundtrack of the motion picture Jackie Brown. I'm a Quentin Tarantino fan. And the soundtrack of the Tarantino movies, I think, is unlike the soundtrack of any filmmaker. I mean, he's just masterfully paints a picture with words. And this song is a great part of Jackie Brown which is a wonderful picture with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Bridget Fonda, Robert De Niro, wonderful cast, and Robert Forster. Robert Forster is a terrific actor, and like Tarantino did with Travolta, 
Forster kind of got a reboot with his career thanks to that film, Jackie Brown. And today, wa- today is Robert Forster's birthday. Unfortunately, he passed away about uh, three and a half years ago. And I remember the last thing I saw him in. It was El Camino, the Breaking Bad film. And I remember thinking how terrible he looked, just physically. He didn't look good. And the next day, it was announced that he had died. And uh, it was clear that he was sick when they were making that film. I think he had cancer. But, um, yeah, he had a brain tumor and died from brain cancer at 78 years old about uh, about three or four years ago. And what an actor. What an actor. And that's somebody that I just love the way that he spoke. He had that strong upstate New York accent. And I don't know much about him, but he seemed like a pretty cool guy. And he was certainly a great actor. So on his birthday, this song reminds me of him. All right. I'm going to get back to your calls in a moment. But a few things that I want to follow up on, okay, with issues that we've covered recently. Do you remember when Dr. Judy Kuriansky and Marlena Shivo were in here for our last ladies lounge? I was unapologetic in saying there should be zero tolerance for fans throwing objects to the stage. If you remember the story, a a fan had thrown her mother's ashes to pink at a pink concert. And I said, this is absolutely unacceptable. And that was the second time somebody had thrown something at Pink. Dr. Judy felt a little differently. She didn't think it was such a big deal. Well, Saturday night in Vienna, Austria, Harry Styles, is, who's a musician, hit in the eye by a thrown object while performing. He's hit as he's walking across the stage between songs. He bent over, covered his eyes with his hands, and winced in pain. Guys, this is totally unacceptable. Apparently, somebody threw something at Drake as well recently. So no, this is crazy. And what I had said at the time was, if you don't stop this, this is going to lead to a series of copycat incidents where everybody throws things at artists. And that shouldn't be the case. So I feel vindicated on that. And I got to give a shout out to the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. President, you heard my whole diatribe on what a mistake it is for President Biden to send cluster bombs to Ukraine. Well, former President Trump criticized Biden and the decision to send cluster munitions to Ukraine, claiming it would drag the United States into World War III and cause unnecessary death and destruction. Trump is exactly right. And this is why I may end up voting for Trump again, because Even though I don't like the way he speaks, I don't like some of his rhetoric or some of the things he does or some of the people that he appointed. When it comes to foreign policy, this guy has very good instincts. And Trump is calling for a de-escalation of the war in Ukraine. He didn't specify specific steps yesterday. But this stance marks a shift from the previous administration's policies, which allowed the use of cluster bombs. So I am glad to hear that President Trump is joining me, not that he's doing it because I said anything, but I'm glad to see that he is on the same page in terms of preventing cluster bombs. Then, lastly, there were a series of people calling in yesterday to take issue with something that I said about the man that might have been 
the greatest baseball player of all time. I can tell you something, kid. Everybody gets one chance to do something great. Most people never take the chance, either because they're too scared or they don't recognize it when it spits on their shoes. This is your big chance, and you shouldn't let it go by. I mean, you remember when you busted the guts out of the ball the other day? Someone's telling you something, kid. And if I was you, I'd listen. Now, that's Babe Ruth as depicted in The Sandlot. I don't know if Babe Ruth actually had that much wisdom, but he certainly seemed like a great guy. Certainly a great baseball player. 714 home runs in an era where nobody was hitting 700 home runs. And really just an incredible person. And what I said was, and the reason that I brought this up was, yesterday was the anniversary of the debut of Babe Ruth. And I'd made the point of mentioning Babe Ruth and Shohei Otani, but I never got the point I never got to the point of mentioning that yesterday was the day he debuted in 1914. But I said that one of the things that makes Shohei Otani so impressive is that after a few years of pitching, they moved Babe Ruth pretty much full time to the outfield so that he could be in the lineup every day. Otani is going to pitch, presumably for the rest of his career, NDH on all the days that he's not pitching. And it's a very different situation. I had all sorts of people quoting Babe Ruth pitching statistics. Now, again, Babe Ruth was a great pitcher. Not taking anything away from Babe Ruth. Let I, I, I always think it's funny. Whenever I offer any opinion on baseball, people are ready to jump down my throat. I said that if I could, the, the, who was the best pitcher of the last 50 years? I said it was Nolan Ryan. All the Seaverites started to try to bash me saying I was anti-Tom Seaver. I am not anti-Tom Seaver. The guy was the franchise. He's Tom Terrific. I'm a Met fan. I love Tom Seaver. I, if I'm taking a choice of both of them, I'm taking Nolan Ryan and the seven no-hitters. Babe Ruth, great pitcher. The guy had, I said yesterday, two or three years. I wasn't looking at his stats at the time. He had four years where he pitched a lot of games. Four years. After those four years, he pretty much moved basically full-time to being in the outfield. And there's nothing wrong with that. He occasionally made pitching appearances, but it was it was rare. Now, he did pitch a lot of games because back then, everyone had a four-man rotation. At most, you would pitch every, every week on three days rest. So that you would get a lot more games in. Than you get these days. So I just wanted to clarify. I was not saying anything negative about Babe Ruth or his pitching ability. I'm a great admirer of Babe Ruth. Read many books about him. Seen many motion pictures about him. I was just saying Shohei Otani is in a little bit of a different category. That's it. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Who should be called doctor? Not doctor who, but just doctor. I'm of the belief that anyone that earns a doctorate should be called doctor. Period. You're a PhD. You're uh, you're whatever. You have a you have a doctorate, a genuine, honest to God doctorate. We should call you doctor. I'm still trying to find an online university that I can pay a relatively small amount of money to, and then do minimal work, and then get uh, that's accredited, and then get certified as a PhD. It turns out it is more difficult than you might think to find a, a school that does that online. If you know of one. Please email me, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. Because my brother is a PhD, and it's really difficult to argue with him now, because he can go back to that at any point. Well, you know, I'm a scientist. So anyway, like a growing number of nurse practitioners in the state of California, Sarah Ernie, or Sarah Emmy, excuse me, E-M-Y, Sarah Emmy earned a doctorate of nursing practice, doctorate of nursing practice, DNP. That is the highest degree in advanced nursing. She a doctor? What do you think? Matt Blaze, she a doctor, doctor, doctorate in nursing? Yes. Yes. Kenneth? Yes. All right. So we're once again unanimous. So she's dubbed affectionately and accurately. Dr. Sarah, by her patients and her colleagues. However, a few days ago, well, now, right now, although she holds a doctorate, she is being criminally punished for exercising her right to publicly and truthfully use the title doctor. This has drawn the wrath of the Medical Board of California, the San Luis Obispo County District Attorney's Office, and the Board of Registered Nursing. She has been fined over $20,000 and may lose her nursing license. As a result, she has moved to Washington State to continue her practice. I can't imagine what is going on in the state of California. I mean, why would anyone want to leave? This is how they treat. You know, we're, we keep hearing that among the most stressful fields there are, it's the medical profession. And we're, we keep hearing about the recruiting difficulties in the medical profession. Here's someone that's popular with her patients. She has the highest degree possible in advanced nursing. There's no allegation that she was ever even deficient in any care for anybody. And she's been essentially kicked out of the state and fined because she wants to use the title doctor, which is truthful and which she earned. What is going on in California? So she's moved to Washington state to continue her practice. The consequences of Sarah's truthful use of the doctor title has struck fear in many DNPs around the country and it's for especially in california but really around the country because who's to say new york won't do this or new jersey or uh connecticut or wherever and it's forcing them to choose between their livelihoods and their rights i think this is 
nothing short of another example of author- authoritarianism in the state of California. What do you think about this? Am I off base? Am I missing something? For them to find someone that has a doctorate of nursing practice because she used the title doctor, I think is just outrageous. 800-848-9222. That is 1-800-848-9222. See, what they're claiming is this. A directive baked into the state's Medical Practice Act makes it a crime for any healthcare professional other than licensed physicians or surgeons to call themselves doctor or DR, period, on signs, business cards, or letterhead or in ads. Anyone caught violating this prohibition faces fines and loss of license. Enforcing this law against nurse practitioners is absolutely ludicrous. Many medical professionals with advanced degrees, veterinarians, dentists, even acupuncturists, chiropractors, they truthfully use the title doctor, and no one finds them, no one shuts them down. And the same is true for individuals that have doctorates in other fields, like college professors. The government hasn't gone after everyone who truthfully uses the title doctor, but they're going after Sarah. For this, Dr. Sarah, and this has chilled free speech within the DNP community. And three DNPs are refusing to be silenced and they are speaking out about this. And I say good for them. So California's restriction on the word doctor, it's not a protection against fraud and injury. It's the state appropriating the word doctor for certain protected professions. Surgeons and physicians. Never mind that neither doctor nor doctor appears anywhere on physicians or surgeons certificates. The government can't hijack a commonly used word and reserve it for a narrow range of preferred jobs. The state can't police the use of truthful language to limit career opportunities. So I think this is awful. And uh, I, I know she's fighting this, and I hope uh, I hope she wins because I think this is terrible that she's been going through this. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Want to encourage you to uh, follow me on Facebook, facebook dot com slash Morano fan, facebook dot com slash m o r a n o fan. And uh, oh, when you think of the great civil rights leaders of all time, who do you think of? You think of people like Martin Luther King Jr. Do you think of uh, W.E.B. Du Bois? Do you think of, uh, I don't know, Jackie Robinson? Do you think of Rosa Parks? Well, I think Rosa Parks is a, a good one. How about in the annals of civil liberty history, how about that great unsung champion of civil rights, George Santos? George Santos, that's right, was on uh, Mike Crispy's Unafraid podcast. I know Mike Crispy. He's an interesting guy. Maybe we'll have him on the program. George Santos actually called himself Rosa Parks. Listen to this. 
I'm going to call them out. You want to call me a liar? I'll call you a sellout. I mean, Mitt Romney, the man goes to the State of the Union of the United States wearing a Ukraine lapel pin, tells me, a Latino gay man, that I shouldn't sit in the front, that I should be in the back. Well, guess what? Rosa Parks didn't sit in the back, and neither am I going to sit in the back. Now, I I don't... (laughs) Far be it from me to defend Willard Mitt Romney, but it is a completely ridiculous comparison. Rosa Parks had to sit in the back of the bus because she was black and there were laws that prohibited black people from sitting in the front. Mitt Mitt Romney is saying of George Santos that he should sit in the back because he's scandal plagued and tarnished by scandal. It has nothing to do with him being Latino or gay. He didn't say it because of that. He said because he's a charlatan and a fraud. Now, you could agree with that or, or disagree with it, but it has nothing to do with his sexual preference or his ethnicity. Ridiculous. George Santos, the 21st century Rosa Parks. I'm going to call them out. You want to call me a liar? I'll call you a sellout. I mean, Mitt Romney, the man goes to the State of the Union of the United States wearing a Ukraine lapel pin, tells me, a Latino gay man, that I shouldn't sit in the front, that I should be in the back. Well, guess what? Rosa Parks didn't sit in the back, and neither am I going to sit in the back. Yeah, that's a ticket. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Tony, who's a doctor? Hey, um, how you doing, sir? Um, Frank, uh, thank you for taking my call. There's an endocrinologist, um, a pediatric uh, endocrinologist, her name, Charmaine Quigley, who did the study testing called androgen insensitive syndrome, and it's passed on genetically from the mother's uterine, and it makes uh, women more prominent to be male in this and i'm wondering where do we draw the line on this it's terrible and i'm all for i'm all for the, everybody participating in sports and how are you going to are you going to do blood testing and do genetic testing on these individuals so tony how about on the doctor incident anything you wanted to add there uh, uh charmaine she's she did um, no, studies tony, on the tony, xy tony, chromosomes tony the, i'm talking about the story in california yeah. No, I, I don't have anything further on that. All one. right. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Robert in Pearl River. I, I never thought I'd look to you as a welcome way to get us back on subject. But here I am. Here we both are. Hello, Robert. Thank you, Frank. How you doing? Well, you know, so uh, the nurses are right. They're in the right. And uh, so the highest degree possible, the highest academic degree is a doctor. So they're not physicians. I and mean, they don't say they are. Listen, juris doctor, doctor of jurisprudence is a lawyer. Some some of them will be called doctors, but this is wrong. And um, they're not saying they're in medical doctors. They're not saying they are physicians, but they hold the highest degree possible in their field in a Ph.D. or a and that's exactly what it is. So uh, I guess they're going to have to go to a higher court and try to. Well, that's exactly move, uh, what, what's going to happen. And uh, I hope she prevails. I, I really do. Thank you, Robert. 800-848-9222. Chris is in Yonkers. Hello, Chris. Hi there. Hi, Hi Frank. How are you? I'm, I'm, um, I have a question. I have a question. Yes. Um, which zone are you in? 
and which zone is the worst zone to be in and which is the best zone to be in. And here's the zones. The dead zone, the twilight zone, the phantom zone, the neutral zone, the Pacific time zone, or no parking zone. Well, I mean, I would think that the the best zone out of the ones that you described is the Pacific time zone, just because it's so much earlier there. Chris, and turn your radio off. Do us a favor. Thank you. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, on anything we're talking about. I, 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 he kind of lost me on that one. It must be a, a full uh, a, a full moon brewing, right? Well, who knows? All right. 800-848-9222. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Morano Fan, and on Twitter at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Oh, uh, we'll continue with your calls, comments, questions, thoughts straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I went to see the doctor today Cause ever since you've been gone I had a pain deep down inside He says there's nothing really wrong with me I'm just missing my man So honey, please Come on home as soon as you can The other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hey, I got a SMS text message here, and you can SMS text message me at eight one six eight Morano. And this listener writes that her sister in law holds a doctorate in nursing in the state of New Jersey. In order to not confuse things, when she wore her lab coat, her name said her name. It said her name. Say Shirley Burley, Bo Burley, DNP. It was never an issue for her or the hospital. She never wanted to or thought she should use the term doctor. Okay, I, I respect that. I mean, I give her credit for wanting to go the extra mile in terms of clarifying things. But I think if she wanted to use the term doctor, she'd be entitled to. And you see that with chiropractors and veterinarians and people that aren't surgeons or physicians all the time. And I don't think that's, uh, there's anything wrong with that. Uh, someone reaching out to me on Twitter, David, whose birthday it is today, writing, using the term doctor can be confusing, especially with somebody like Betsy McCoy, who presents herself as a healthcare expert, but has no degree in that field. Well, I, I mean, I get what he's saying. I get what he's saying. I don't, I don't agree. I think you get that doctorate. You got any degree with a D in it and you should be able to use that title doctor with abandon. Hey, speaking of the state of New Jersey, want to give a shout out to all of our listeners listening on Talk 1400 WOND, a dominant radio station all over South Jersey. I'm really looking forward to at the the beginning of next month 
spending some time in uh, Cape May. We uh, rented a house for a week, and there's some other folks that we're sharing a house with, some friends, and usually some people will come down and, and visit us. It's always a good time. But I and WOND reaches Cape May, and uh, they have a great tradition down there, and I listen to WOND when I'm down there very often. But I did see something that I found a little disconcerting. Now, you know my attitude when it comes to marijuana is it's like it's not for me but if you want to do it go ahead and do it i think that's great i don't like the smell i don't like um i don't i just don't like it it's not for me and it looks like now they are moving forward with legalized marijuana in cape may county now cape may county is not like atlantic city atlantic city is a raucous party town with a boardwalk and people are drinking on the boardwalk you're hanging out in the boardwalk and you you're you're smoking whatever i'll smoke a cigar on the boardwalk and it kind of it fits the culture of atlantic city to have people smoking marijuana i don't like it i don't like that people do it it's not for me but it's not out of character. You know, you could go into any bar after 11 p.m. in Atlantic City and find an escort to to me. It sort of builds itself as Sin City of the of the East. Cape May is very different. Cape May more has a an older population. You don't get the sense that people are visiting Cape May to experience a raucous party town. They're visiting Cape May. They're experiencing Cape May because they're uh, they're into more wholesome family fun activities. Now, there's vineyards and things of that nature, which I know when there's bachelorette party, things can get pretty wild. But it's um, it's a different it's a different culture over there. So now legal weed is on its way to Cape May County, which does include Wildwood and some other people. I, I'm not I'm not crazy about this. So it's nothing I can do about it, but just making my observation that uh, not really looking forward to it. All right. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah. You know, you just inspired me to, uh, to change topics. You know, uh, the other day, you know, there's a, uh, around where I live, there's this, uh, there's this bum that hangs out because uh, he likes the neighborhood, you know? So he sits in front of the train station and he got more and more gutsy over time. He's really an alcoholic. He starts drinking a, bo- a, a bottle of vodka in public. And, uh, you know, so that's going over the line because then when he's finished, he throws the bottle right oh, to the street. I hate and that. everybody's walking, yeah, everybody's walking past the bottle. It really breaks down the neighborhood. So I called the police, you know, enough is enough. So, you know, two cop cars come along with EMS, right? And, of course, the guy evades detection, but he got the hell out of there real quick. My point being is that we, it's still against the law to drink openly liquor, and yet people could smoke pot anywhere they want. I mean, this is like a total, uh, a total hypocrisy. And it just evidences that, you see, alcohol is a relic of a time when we were civilized. We cared about... <laughs> I we, like we, we can't... We cared about how we impressed other people and what we did to other people and everything. It, it survived. So the one relic survived. The point is, we're becoming decivilized with this with this marijuana, and along with this decivilization is all kinds of accusations of of racism with other people. Because, you know, I hate to say this, but you know, 
slavery was not such a big issue. We, we were very concerned about well, how we treated other people, well, and wait, we wait had the pinnacle Larry, Larry slavery, slavery was uh, a big issue. Well, not or not. not listen, it, lay, it it sort of was a sleeping dog that lied underneath the surface, because <laughs> I, I, a lot of people Larry, that's feel, not true. I, I think if you were enslaved, you would feel much differently. I'm just I'm just making the point that it's come out with ra- allegations of racism towards everybody else. It goes hand in hand with this decivilization where we're free to do whatever we want and we don't care about intruding upon other people because. Uh, uh, you know that, that it, it's just, I, I don't want to draw the parallel that I'm thinking of because then you then people hurl racism epithets at me, you know. So, but I'm just making the point that this this, this stuff it's totally entirely hypocritical. And first of all, we can't detect people who are driving with marijuana. I saw people sitting in in Brooklyn. I see people sitting in cars smoking pot, and the cops just walk the other way. I mean, there's no way to detect these people. If, it, if they're under the influence, what's going on here? Yeah, the other – and thank you, Larry. I don't know where you were going on that slavery situation, but I completely disagree. The other point that uh, – and if you want to call in, you can, 800-848-9222. The other point on the marijuana issue with respect to detection and there not being an accurate test, one of the other problems with that is they're all the drug-sniffing dogs – used by police departments all over the country have been trained to sniff out marijuana and they did a good job sniffing out marijuana i mean not as good as sergeant joe friday marijuana is the flame heroin is the fuse lsd is the bomb so don't you try to equate liquor with marijuana mister not with me you may sell that jazz to another pothead but not to somebody who spends most of their time holding some sick kid's head while he vomits and wretches sitting on a curbstone at four o'clock in the morning and when his knees get enough starch back in him so he can stand up and empty his pockets you can bet he'll turn out a sticker to a marijuana <laughs> i love it but they did a pretty good job so when all these dogs who were very hard-working dogs and there was a significant investment in training in all these dogs all these dogs could no longer be used, at least not for the purposes of sniffing out drugs, because they would react the same way to marijuana that they would to, say, heroin or cocaine. And now that marijuana is a legal substance in more and more places, these dogs can't be used. So it's a tremendous waste of training time and resources for these dogs. I mean, look, clearly the people have spoken. They want to move towards recreational marijuana. I don't have a problem with it. I just um, I just don't love what it does to the quality of life. I don't think people should be put in prison for marijuana. I don't think people should. If you want to smoke marijuana, I think that's great. I just don't love that it's everywhere now. And I am concerned that a wonderful community like Cape May, which to me is a big part of the experience there is experiencing nature and, you know, bike riding and being outside and seeing the greenery and uh, climbing to the top of the uh, the World War II lookout tower and the lighthouse. I am concerned that now that experience is going to be degraded with the stench of marijuana smoke. And I don't mean to sound like a square. I'm not. I'm I'm the least judgmental guy on Earth. It's just, to me, it smells like a skunk. And do you really want that while you're trying to enjoy a bike ride or something along those lines? Now, you could, it's true. You could just get, get just as tanked 
drinking wine at a vineyard all day as you can uh, having a couple of tokes of marijuana. But if you're getting tanked, it doesn't affect me the way the stench of marijuana does. That's my take. You're welcome to agree or disagree, whatever the case may be. All right, 800-848-9222. Speaking of um, South Jersey, my father and stepmother, who are never in Atlantic City, are out there this weekend or this week. I couldn't go. I couldn't go, but they're having a gay old time. They're not really Atlantic City people. They're seeing my uh, step-cousin who has a place in Brigantine. They're going to go out to dinner. They did the beach thing. And I, I was uh, kicking myself that I, I couldn't make the time to get down there. But it's probably for the best. I'm on a budget now. And and to stay, uh, I pr- probably would behoove me to stay away from, from these casinos. Although, you know who else is out there this weekend? Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer is once again out there. He's at the, uh, I think it's the Golden Nugget, peddling his beer, which is very good beer. Faith American Ale. They carry it at Christides in New York and a bunch of other things. It's only available in New York and New Jersey. And I invited him to come on, uh, but uh, I guess he was in transit or something, so he was not available today. But hopefully we'll get him back on the program soon because it is a good beer, and I love that he's just such a booster of uh, of New York and the Catskills where we're very pleased to be on WVOS and New Jersey with places like Atlantic City and uh, things of that nature. So we'll see where that goes. Do you know the best way to walk? Well, if you want to leave an impression with someone, you need to do a walk and talk. The taking a stroll with someone apparently is a great way to strengthen your social connections. Research now shows that it's less stressful to talk to someone when you're walking side by side with minimal eye contact than conversing face to face. And this does sort of fly in the face of a lot of the conventional wisdom What do you always hear about conversations? You always hear, look them in the eye, have respect for people, look them in the eye. Well, the research is showing that the power of a walk and talk is substantial. So if you need to have a tough conversation with somebody, think of a walk and talk where you walk side by side, you go for a little stroll. And um, Esther Perel, a couples therapist, told the New York Times, When walking next to someone, a conversation becomes parallel play, looking ahead yet connected by the exchange. And uh, so they're saying if you need to get closer to someone, the research suggests have a conversation while you're walking. And walking invites easy conversation because we're often more relaxed and we're open to tangents. And it's really hard to check your mobile phone incessantly. Going back to what I was talking about earlier, that dinner in the dark where we had dinner blindfolded and no one could use their mobile phone. I love that. There's no pressure to come up with thought-provoking questions. You simply spend time together on a ramble, away from screens, away from obligations, and it builds bonds. But prompts can make a walk more fun. And they had a couple of suggestions for different conversational prompts like uh, 
the trip that changed my life was? Or what's a promise you wish you hadn't broken? The thing that's keeping me up at night is, if my younger self could see me today, they would say, blank. My most expected friendship is with, blank. So I, uh, I'm i all for these walk and talks. I'm going to endeavor to do more of this in my own life. All right. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in Original Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yeah, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Listen, go. this is not being critical because, you know, I, I call all the time. You're, you're a radio friend. But I have to point out, you're sounding a little hypocritical on the marijuana thing because I know you don't like the smell. But for me, cigars make me gag. I mean, they literally make me gag. But do you think I should have the right to tell you not to smoke on a park be- uh, on a bench on, on the boardwalk your cigar? You enjoy smoking them so much. Go back in your hotel room or something. That's not right. I mean, if I don't like to cigar smoke, I guess I'll walk away from you. Well, but I can't curtail yeah, your, you know, you know that, what I'm saying? That's a good point. Uh, that's a good point. I guess I'm not suggesting that they allow um, marijuana smoking. They allow tobacco smoking in places where marijuana smoking isn't permitted. W- what I'm saying is, to me, the the stench of, of marijuana is so much more pungent then then and maybe you're right maybe i have a bias because i enjoy the cigar smell but it, to me it's so much more pungent than a cigar i mean i feel like if you get more than 10 feet away from someone that's smoking a cigar you're not going to smell it i feel like you could get 50 feet away from someone that's smoking marijuana and you still are hit in the face with it am i off base on that one no no you're not and it does smell like skunk they call it skunk i mean you're, you're very on, on point on that um, the reason you don't maybe smell cigars is because you smoke. It's like a, if if you're smoking a cigarette, you don't smoke smell cigarettes on you. But if you go into a room where nobody smokes, they're like, whoa, you smell like cigarettes. So maybe you just don't realize that your cigar is wasting way farther than you think. Well, maybe so- you're right. Maybe you're right. You know, I I in my neighborhood and thanks for the call, Rick, in my neighborhood, a lot of the ladies that live on the block, they will ask me to um, move closer to them when I'm smoking a cigar because they so enjoy the smell of the cigar. And my wife does, too. Uh, She doesn't like to smoke it herself, but she enjoys it kind of just wafting around. And I don't find that to be as common with marijuana. But who knows? Maybe I'm just a a square. I'm speaking. I've never smoked marijuana, so I'm speaking from a totally ignorant point on this 800-848-9222 matt w- what about that the the idea of cigar smoke versus marijuana smoke where, where do you come down on that i think because you like cigars you don't you like the smell of cigars. yeah i guess you're right and if you don't like marijuana then you're gonna smell what you don't like just like rick just said if you walk into a room where you smoke cigarettes and nobody in the room smokes as soon as you walk in they're gonna smell it on you so i think it, it, that's the case with with cigars versus yeah. marijuana or any cigarettes, same thing. Yeah. Well, cigarettes to me, I think they just smell awful. But again, I don't find that they the stench of a cigarette reaches as far as the stench of marijuana. But again, maybe I'm just more sensitive to it. Gary is on Long Island. Hello, Gary. You mean Gary? What? No, I mean Gary. 
Uh, all right. There's an article uh, tonight right now in the New York Post about all hell breaking loose last night at the Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, testimonial or what, whatever it was. You should look it up. It was crazy. It was one of the nuttiest things that ever happened. Oh, no, I saw the article. Were you there? Oh, Gary or Barry hung up. Yeah, if people don't know what Gary slash Barry is talking about, the there was a press dinner to boost Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign, and it essentially devolved into a screaming match, and there was even what Page Six described as polemic farting. And there was an affair at uh, Tony's on the upper uh, on the Upper East Side. Don't you think I should have been invited to this? I think I should have been invited. I had Tony Lyons in here yesterday. I had Robert F. Kennedy uh, Jr. on a few days ago. They should have invited me to this. So um, there was a shouting match over climate change that broke out between two boisterous old men, sending the evening down an extremely unfortunate path. By the way. Can we again look at the issue of civility in politics? Why do people have to get so crazy? Passion is great. Disagreement is great. Conversation is great. Why are people ready to kill each other because they disagree over climate change? So what what, what apparently happened is a guest asked Kennedy, who's the founder of a, an environmental organization, about the environment. And it seems that the just the question was enough to set off a apparently drunk gossip columnist turned flack, Doug Dietschert, who was hosting the event, and he became enraged and screamed at the top of his lungs, the, the climate hoax. Meanwhile... Octogenarian art critic Anthony Hayden Guest, who appeared to have been sleeping happily for most of the dinner, was roused by the abrupt rumpus. And Hayden Guest suddenly opened his eyes and denounced his longtime pal, Doug Dietrich, calling him a miserable blob. You know, to me, the reason I didn't talk about it is it's just it's just gossip. Dennis Kucinich was at this dinner, though. I should have been invited. Well, I couldn't have gone anyway. I had that. Dinner in the uh, in the dark. But um, the candidate apparently maintained a steady composure in the face of all this, all this stuff. Another attendee told the New York Post that um, uh, they cha- tried to change the subject, telling Robert Kennedy how much she admired his father. Sadly, another guest brought things back to climate change and that led to another round of yelling. What are people yelling about? How dare you? What is going on? So there's there's that. That's uh, that's the story. Um, maybe I'll reach out to this Doug Dietrich. Although he sounds like kind of a kind of a loser. I mean, I, I don't want to call him a name, but but you to start a shouting match because you disagree with someone on the issue of climate change. What are you doing? Makes no sense to me at all. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with your phone call straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
two, three into the four. Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Before I have to pull the strap off the cut. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Captain and Lone Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Cause they this is uh, but nothing but a G thing, Dr. Dre and Snoop Doggy Dogg. Uh, are you playing this, map because of Snoop Doggy Dogg's affiliation with marijuana? Well, I, I was actually thinking more Dr. Dre. Oh, Dr. Dre. But that does make sense, too. It does, see? It makes sense on Both two levels. Wow. I find Dr. Dre, um, I, I have serious questions about his medical licensing. I don't even think he has a doctorate, let alone a, uh, let alone an actual medical doctorate. I mean, I don't know if he's claiming to, but... I don't think Dr. Dre would make it in the state of California. That is for sure. But uh, but there it is. All right. 800-848-9222. I am one of those people that whenever there are mosquitoes around, I get bitten. And I get large bites. And they're itchy. And I end up scratching them. And yesterday, I noticed my son had a very large bite on his hand, a very large bug bite. And it's no doubt summer is in full swing and these critters, mosquitoes, have come out across the United States. I have said, and this was an Ask Frank Anything question one time, if you could remove anything from this earth, what would it be? I have said it would absolutely be mosquitoes. These are the most deadly creatures on the face of the earth. These are deadly people. They're killing people like crazy. And somebody was responding to this said, well, what about nuclear weapons? Wouldn't you do away with that? No, no. Mosquitoes have killed a lot more people than nuclear weapons have. And the use of repellents can both protect your health and your sanity. So it's the females that bite people to get vital nutrients from our blood. Then they use these nutrients to make their eggs. One single blood meal can give rise to about 100 mosquito eggs that hatch into wiggling larvae. The good news is, it was an interesting article about this, there are several ways to avoid being bitten by these horrible critters. From wearing long, loose clothing and having limited time outside, which who's going to do that during the summer, to placing screens over your windows and getting rid of standard water. That's one of the uh, the big ones. But one of the best ways is to use some sort of a repellent. So the team at the New Mexico State University Molecular Vector Physiology Laboratory, say that 10 times fast, they studied the different types of mosquito repellents and their efficacy for over a decade. So they tested all these, and apparently what you need to know is there are some repellents that don't work. Bracelets, you ever see a bracelet? Doesn't work. Department stores and pharmacy chains sell hundreds of different varieties of bracelets that are marketed as mosquito repellent bands, wristbands and watches. The materials vary. Sometimes they're plastic, sometimes they're leather. Even if they are loaded with repellents, they can't protect your whole body. Also, ultrasonic repellent devices don't work. They come as electrical plug-ins, freestanding varieties, whatever. Don't work. 
Dietary supplements, vitamin B, garlic, so on, don't work. No scientific evidence at all. Light-based repellents don't work. And here are the ones that do work. They ranked them, and they ranked them from the, the, the best to the worst. Number one, number one, the most effective repellent, DEET. DEET. This was not a surprise because I'm sure DEET is not very good for humans either. It was developed in the 50s by the U.S. Army, and it's a well-established mosquito repellent with a long history of use. The higher the percentage, the longer the protection time is, up to six hours. So I don't know um, what, which repellents contain DEET. But I think a lot of the big ones do. Um, I think, uh, you know, off is always so popular. But, uh, yeah, off, sure enough, off contains DEET. So whatever whatever repellent you want to use, if you want to use an effective one, pick one that contains DEET. Then there's another one, a synthetic repellent that I honestly had never heard of. But it can apparently protect for up to six hours at a 20% concentration. And it's an alternative for DEET. It's called picaridin, picaridin. Then number three is oil of lemon eucalyptus, O-L-E, with the uh, active ingredient, PMD. It's a plant-based alternative to DEET and picaridin, and its repellent properties can last for up to six hours. And then other essential oils, some work, some don't. They applied 20 different essential oils in a uh, in an essential oil mixture, they found that clove oil works well, cinnamon oil works well, the rest, eh, you, you're hit and miss. You always used to hear about citronella candles and citronella oil. It works, just not great. So if you want to keep those mosquitoes away and you don't mind the damage that it's doing to you, try DEET containing off. You know, it's funny. 16 years ago, my friend Vinny, who I, I went out to dinner with yesterday for this uh, dinner in the dark thing, we were in my mom's pool and in the backyard in my mom's house. And uh, he's over, his wife's over, and she was pregnant at the time. Our friend Steve is over, one or two other friends, about five of us. And the bugs, it was just starting, the sun was just starting to set, but we're all hanging outside. And the bugs were just starting to come out. And Vinny says, hey, do you have any bug spray? And I look around and I see there's a, a, a spray can of off on there. And I, I grab the off and I say, here, here you go. And I spray some, I think on myself and he sprays some on him and he, his wife, who's six or seven months pregnant, sprays some on her, but it comes out not as standard off wood. It comes out as a foam, almost like a foam. And everyone's asking me, what is, what is that foam? Why is it coming out as a foam? And I said, oh, you just have to rub it into your skin. That's all it means. So everybody foolishly listens to me, and they rub this foam into your skin, including me. And then Vinny says, hey, let, let me see that. Let me see that. So I, I toss him the thing. And apparently that is not what you're supposed to do. It is for outdoor use only, this particular off is supposed to be used to set up a perimeter to keep the bugs away. And it says in warning after warning on the container, do not expose to human skin. 
So you can imagine how thrilled they were. And so we're all jumping in the pool trying to get this stuff off of us. And Vinny says to me, if my if my child comes out looking like a bug, I'm going to sue you. But fortunately, she's a, a very healthy uh, 15 or 16-year-old girl now. She's uh, doing very well. No harm done. But it's a lesson in reading labels, especially with respect to things containing DEET. Ed is uh, on the line. Hello there, Ed. Hi. Good morning, Frank. Morning. A couple of, year, a couple of years ago, I went to Alaska, and uh, I visited a par- uh, one of the parks there. And the park ranger uh, was was showing us a glacier, and he said, and I quote, this glacier started melting 10,000 years ago, and we're just happy to see the remnants of it. So 10,000 years ago, there was no United States of America. So I don't, he, he, he said that climate change is a complete hoax. It's just, it's just nature. That was his words, not mine. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of people that uh, that feel that way. Yeah, second thing, ask Frank anything. What does posh stand for? Posh? I uh, I don't know. Uh, back in the like 1920s, uh, when people traveled across the ocean in uh, ocean liners, um, there was first class, and then there was the better part of first class. So you wanted to stay in the shade. So you paid extra for posh, which stood for port out starboard home. Oh, really? I had no idea it was an acronym. Yeah. So that's how the word posh started. I know you like these. I, I little, love that. Yeah, give yeah. me the acronym again. I'll look that up so I have it handy. But give me port. Port outwards starboard home. This way, you were even though you were in first class, you were in the shade. I love that. Because there was no air conditioning back then. Ed, uh, that is outstanding. Posh it is. I love that. That's a good one. See, you learned something. This this program has been a worthwhile investment of your time. See? All right. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fan. That's facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. One thing that I have not been on top of as of late is trying to recruit kidney donors we have a lot of listeners, I'm shocked actually at how many listeners there are, that are in need of a kidney. A lot of very nice people that could use a kidney. And I, if you're game for giving up a kidney, which apparently you only need one, but if you're game for giving up a kidney and wanting to be connected with one of these people, email me and I'll connect you with one of these folks that need a kidney. Uh, so far, um, we have about five or six people that I'm aware of in our audience that are in need of a kidney, but so far only one fellow, and he's based in Colorado, that is willing to part with a kidney. I'm going to try and make a match with him and one of these folks, but it's um, we could use a few more. So if you want to give up a kidney, email me, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. What I have said, and I believe this, is that if you give someone a kidney and you save your life with a, save their life with a living kidney donation, I really believe that that gets you to heaven guaranteed. I really think that gives you a lot of leeway on the karmic scale to do things that maybe you shouldn't do and still get into heaven. You save someone's life with a kidney donation. I mean, that is life changing. And I know 
Uh, we have a lot of people in our audience that have given kidneys away. My uncle John, John Tirolosi, has given a kidney away. My friend Danielle, she has uh, gave a coworker of hers a kidney. It takes a it's a real sacrifice, but it's somebody it's something that can genuinely change somebody's life. So I think that's uh, I think that's really so important. And I'd like to do a show in the future on why there is such an uptick in kidney disease and people that need kidneys, because I feel like I am hearing about this all the time now. And I don't think that's just uh, the, the circle I'm running with. I really do think there is an uptick in kidney disease. So, all right. Um, so if you're looking to give away a kidney, email me. Or if you want a kidney, you can email me as well, and I'll put you on our internal show-related kidney list. And uh, we'll we'll make a big push for this going forward. All right. You can email. You can call 800-848-9222. I'm getting all sorts of mosquito remedies now. Thank you. Keep asking questions. The Other Side of Midnight. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Here's a question for you. Think you don't have to answer it out loud, but you can answer it to yourself. I'll make Matt Blaze answer it out loud. What percentage of Americans you at what percentage of Americans do you think live alone? What is the share of households that are occupied by one person? One person. What percentage? What do you think? Matt Blaze, any guesses? 35%. Kenneth, high? Is he high or low? Uh, I'm going to go with 30%. You are you're just about right on the money. The uh, U.S. Census shows that what they call solitaries make up about 29% of the of American households. Now, the reason this is interesting is because that's a lot. And it's a lot not just in there's a lot of people that are living alone, but it's a lot in the context of American history. In fact, this is the highest percentage of people living alone that we've ever seen in American history. The census shows that solitaries made up 8% of all households back in 1940. And then it was 18% in 1970, and now, as Kenneth so aptly predicted, it is 29%. 
nearly 30% of American households comprise a single person. That is a record high. And scholars are saying that living alone is not a trend. This is a transformation across not just America, much of the world. Large numbers of people are living alone for the first time in recorded history. Eric Kleinenberg, who's a sociologist at NYU and author of the book Going Solo, said it is a stunning social change. And he came to see it as the biggest demographic change in the last century that we failed to recognize and take seriously. You see, humans are a social animal. Historians have looked at ancient census rolls and seen that our species has lived in groups for as long as such records have existed, stretching back at least 1,600 years. The U.S. Census um, has shown that as well. 1940, as I mentioned, only 8% of households were solo. Now, this solo living movement, it intersects with several other societal trends, and we've talked about some of them. But Americans are marrying later in life, if at all. The nation is aging. The national birth rate is falling. People are living longer, or they were, at least until the pandemic arrived. More than anything, the rise of single-person households is about women entering the workforce and achieving economic self-sufficiency. The share of adult women participating in the labor force was around 50% in 1980. So you don't really, historically speaking, you don't really see people living alone until women have control of their own lives and can make their own decisions about property and money and things of that nature. So I don't know what this portends for the future. I don't know whether this is a new age of independence and self-governance or if this is the end of human society as we know it. It could be both. could be both. I do know something. A lot of people are lonely. And a lot of the people that listen to this program, especially in its live form late at night, they listen to the radio to sort of keep them company. So one thing that I thought would be interesting is to have people who do live alone give other folks tips on being alone, but not being lonely. My Aunt Camille of Egg Salad fame, she talked about how during the pandemic, you know, she is a a widow. She was not able to go to church. She goes to church just about every day, and that's her primary source of social interaction. She also is part of a widow's group, and she sees friends, she sees family, and she does things. She's very active. But during the pandemic, during the lockdown, she couldn't do any of those things. And she felt like she was going crazy. She said that more than anything, that experience more than anything, convinced her that uh, that uh, solitary confinement, she believes, is torture. Now, I don't want to get into a whole discussion about that. But the point is, a lot of people get lonely if they're alone. But more people than ever in American history are alone. So if you live by yourself, I would love it if you could give a tip to someone that's lonely. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Bella DePaolo 
who is an interesting woman, and she wrote a book that's coming out soon. It's called Single at Heart. She says living alone can be a dream come true. Single, solitary living means you get to curate your own life. You decide when to go to sleep and when to get up, what and when to eat, what to watch or to listen to for entertainment, and how warm or cool your place will be. No more fighting over the thermostat. Now, I... I lived alone for you know, before I was before I met my um my now wife but we we lived with one another first. I have to be honest, I love living alone for all these same reasons that uh, that Beth DePaulo cites and she has this whole uh, philosophy about um embracing the people who like being alone. I get that. I get that. But there's a lot of people that are alone because of certain circumstances. Maybe, as in the case of Maya Camille, your spouse passed away. Maybe it's another reason. But if you're someone who enjoys living alone, I'm sure you've got some strategies. We've seen a lot of singles stereotyped, stigmatized, ignored, and some of them might be quite happy. That's who I'd like to hear from. 800-848-9222. Brian Kilmeade is going to join us in about 20 minutes. I can't wait to talk to Brian Kilmeade. A lot going on with respect to things that Brian could comment on. One, Christopher Ray, the uh, director of the FBI, testified before Congress yesterday. And I'm interested to hear Brian's analysis on that. A lot going on with this presidential race. There are all sorts of new fundraising strategies to get qualified for the debate stage. I'm going to talk to him about that. Trump is still not committing to participating in that first presidential debate. Democrats are freaking out over the prospect of a third-party candidate that could, in their view, siphon off votes from um, you know, Joe Biden. On that note, by the way, Joe Manchin is heading to New Hampshire on Monday with the no labels folks to unveil and John Huntsman. Imagine that kind of a ticket. Joe, Joe Manchin, John Huntsman to unveil their new common sense agenda. Maybe that guy that called in in the first hour that's forming his common sense club or whatever he called it. Maybe he'll be up there in New Hampshire with John Huntsman and, uh, and Joe Manchin. All right. If you're alone. Um, give me your tips on not being lonely because I think there's a lot of people listening that could really stand to benefit. All right, we got a bunch of mics on the line. We'll put the mics to the front of the line. Mike in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, what tip do you have for us, Mike? Well, good morning, Frank. Well, first of all, I, you know, I, I'm a strong believer in Jesus and I got Jesus in my heart. And people who could have a whole family around them could still be lonely. That's okay? true. You're you know, right. You know, they don't have to, you don't have to be by yourself to be lonely. You're right. You're right, Mike. But I do think you're more likely to be lonely if you don't have a parent, a friend, a, um, a spouse. You know, I'll give you the one example and then I'll, I want to hear your tip, Mike. My wife said that, um, that if, she ever found herself living alone if i died or something along those lines heaven forbid then she would not want to live alone she doesn't want to do it she said she would go and find a roommate maybe move in with one of her siblings or something along those lines so you're absolutely right in that you can be 
lonely while living in a house with eight people. But I think it's much more likely when you're living by yourself. But give me your tip, Mike. Well, like I told you, I, I you know, I found I found Jesus, and you know, I, I'm still, you know, I still have, you know, relationship and all, and we meet the weekends and this and that. But uh, uh, as far as being by myself, when I first was by myself, if to get separated from my wife and all, after after a while, you realize that hey, you know, uh, how can I say it? Like Christmas. Christmas was great when I was by myself. I didn't have to rush for anything. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, that was one thing. Hurry up. We got to go. You didn't have that nagging and stuff. Uh, I hear you. Other, I hear you. The other, remember one thing. The box only sleeps one. That's what I always tell people. The box only sleeps one. So there is going to be a time when, you know, you buy, in other words, in other words, when you die, nobody's jumping in the box with you. Everybody will say, oh, he's in a great place. Well, why don't you jump in with him? You know what I'm saying? So you've you got to just be like your own island and, and, and enjoy the things that you enjoy and, you know, stay close to God. And All right. You'll never be alone. That's not bad, Mike. Never- Th- thank you, Mike. You know, what I'm really looking for is more practical tips. If someone were to suggest take up crossword puzzles or uh, join a club of people that volunteers to read to folks or um, or get a pet, you know, or I don't know, whatever, work on a political campaign. A practical tip that you find works well for you to allow you to be alone but not lonely. Michael is in Nutley, New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Hi. Um, hello? Hi, Michael. Yes. Could you hear me? Perfectly. Yes. Um, my tip is work. I constantly work. You know, Michael, I actually think that is a really good one. I'm watching. I watched this first episode of this Mike, this uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, and he was going on and saying uh, almost exactly what you just said. He really he was sad when his father died and his brother died almost in in right after one another. And he said he really didn't take time to sit around and be depressed about it because he was busy working. He was working uh, 12, 14 hours a day. He'd work out and then he'd work on different businesses. And he makes the point in uh, in the present day that if people worked more they wouldn't have time to sit around and be depressed. So I think you and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger are on the same page on that front. What kind of work do you do, Michael? I'm just curious. I'm a CDL driver. I go in at 4 or 5 in the morning, like I'm on my way to work now. And um, I get out. I, I usually do like 12 hours a day. And then um, I do a little exercise when I come home, and then I'm so tired that I go back to bed. The great part is that... I make a lot of money. Well, I that, just concentrate on work. and Well, good for you. you I'm know. glad things are working out well for you. When I lived by myself, that was a big key to my um, not being lonely. One, I always had a very robust social life, but I was working all the time. And I, I still am working all the time, but now living with other people. I think, though, that some people who might be living alone, they're retired, right? Or they're just a pet or they're disabled. They're unable to work. Give me some tips for those folks. 800-848-9222. We have a first timer. We're sorry. Dorothy calling from the Lone Star State. Hello, Dorothy. 
Hi, that's funny. Um, hi, Frank. So I think he, I'm 70 years old, but I'm very like untypical of the typical 70 year old. A, I've always enjoyed my own company. I've been divorced over 22 years, never remarried. Wow. Um, I, I stay active. Um, I love riding my bike and that saved me during the pandemic because when you go out and you're riding a bike or doing a walk or something, you're not alone because there's other people out there. So you realize that you're not alone. You're around other people, whether, like I say, walking, riding a bike. I tap dance one morning a week. My tap dance teacher is 86. I do yoga twice a week. My yoga teacher is 88. She's amazing. And I still work a day and a half. And then in my free time, I see my grandchildren that live five minutes away. So, um, you know, I've had friends say, oh, you can meet a man. You can meet a man. I really don't want to meet a man. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I love to cook. Like there's people that live alone. They say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't really cook for myself. It's just me. Like, well, it's just me, but I like to eat and I like to eat good food. So I'll make myself anything. And I go to great lengths to enjoy making what I make for myself. And then I dine. So you, you'll do a whole gourmet style meal just for yourself? A hundred percent. I got home tonight, for example. So I was with the grandchildren today helping my daughter out. I foiled my daughter's hair because I'm a hairdresser by trade. I foiled my hair. I cut my granddaughter's hair. I got home. It was around 536 o'clock. I made myself fusilli with artichokes, fresh tomatoes, fresh mozzarella, oh went out to my garden, brought in some fresh basil, cracked pepper, a glass of wine. And by the time I sat down to dinner, it was like 7 o'clock, but I enjoyed my meal. I sit and I kind of, you know, go over the events of the day or sit. I like to play words with friends to keep my mind active. And, so, um, I, I think, think these are think all this, very good tips here. We have uh, cooking and enjoying the fruits of your labor, uh, connecting with, with friends both in person and through electronic means like Wordle, and spending time with, with family when you can. I think these are all great. Right. And the most important thing is, again, back to the initial thing. I enjoy my own company. I don't look for someone mm. To show me a fun or keep me entertained, I do it. I do it for myself. Whether it be keeping my home pristine, which I enjoy a nice clean home, I don't sit a lot. I think that is also very helpful. Once you start sitting and watching the world rather than participate in it, then you get lonely. Well, I, I love it, Dorothy. Good for you. I'm glad things are going so well for you. Uh, give everybody in Texas our best. Thank you. Allison is in Bayside. Allison, give me some tips for uh, avoiding loneliness. Well, leave WABC radio on all day and night. You'll never be lonely. I, I like that one. That's uh, that's right up my alley. So you listen to a lot of talk radio then? Just your station. Yeah. Okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. Hey, Especially what other you, station you need? and the rest. And... Also, I love I love being alone, but I do have a lot of friends, and I do get out a lot. So but, um, every every time somebody comes close to marrying me, I run. How <laughs> I come? No, I just I don't know. I'm an only child, and I've always liked to do things on my own. I love being alone. I love my own company. 
What do you make of this trend that, well, they're, they're calling it not a trend, but a demographic shift, that there are more people living alone now than at any point in American history? Are you thinking that more people have just figured out what you've known for a little while, or do you think this is indicative of something else? I don't know. I think maybe there's financial issues and a lot of other things going on. Mm. Well, and they found themselves. I love they your, like themselves now. <laughs> yeah, Hank, uh, whatever works. Uh, I love your suggestion of uh, of talk radio. And I, I think it's, that when I lived by myself, that was a key part of my strategy. You could visit my apartment. And thanks for the call, Allison. Please keep listening. You could visit my apartment anytime, day or night, whether I'm awake or whether I'm asleep, you would hear talk radio. Because to me, it, they are. The voices that you hear on talk radio, they are your friends and you keep them at points in your life that you would never, ever have another person share with you when you're going to the bathroom, when you're driving alone, when you're in bed, when you're uh, not feeling well. You would never allow some when you don't have your makeup on, whatever the case may be, when you don't have any clothes on. You would never allow another person in many of these circumstances, but you still allow me and other similarly situated people to share these moments with you. And that's why I really get so um, annoyed when people don't have a radio. A radio is, to me, so much more than an electronic device for conveying information and entertainment. For me, a radio is really a key to fun entertainment, information, and friendship. It really is. It really is. And that's one of the reasons it's my one of my favorite things to give a gift to anyone, any occasion. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, two thoughts on the tips. Uh, one would be uh, it, people should look, are they substituting things like watching too much TV for and taking the easy way out as uh, and saying, you know, I don't want to meet people, you know, they're kind of de in denial. But the second thing is, if, if people are mixing with new people, don't put too many assumptions in there all the time. Get out of your head. Because, okay, say, for example, some somebody might meet a woman that they have a slight interest in, get their information, and the woman says, well, I'm seeing someone, get their information anywhere and check with them three, six months later, or keep in touch with them lightly, because sometimes if they're seeing someone that you don't know what the level of attachment is. So I'd say make less assumptions. Not more. I like it, Joe. I like it. Le fewer assumptions makes sense to me. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Talking about this uh, story, where not a story, but the observation, the demographic data that shows more Americans living alone now than at any point in American history. And the fact is, I know a lot of people listening to us right now are alone, and I'd love to give them if they're feeling lonely some tips on how to live alone without being lonely. We've got some good ones so far, especially from um, from that young lady in Texas who was very good. Uh, let me say hello to Harvey in upstate New York. Hello, Harvey. Yeah, hello. Uh, good morning. Really enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, now, um, 
I have a little menagerie of two dogs and two birds. And they they just keep me going all day. Even now, right now I'm outside walking my dogs. And, uh, well, I'm out of breath. Well, yeah, don't... So, uh, be careful, no, just Harvey. Walking. Slow down. We don't want to have to give uh, AED over the radio here. I think a pet, right. or maybe several pets, as in your case, is a great way to stave off loneliness. Harvey, uh, good luck. D- d- don't exert yourself. I'm getting a little concerned about Harvey there. Uh, get, appreciate the enthusiasm for the subject and for for pets. But he's right. I, I think that is a great strategy for for folks. Richard in Brooklyn, what do you got for us? Uh, Frank, um, it really resonated me on being alone. And um, I guess one of the tips I have, well, I'm married. I'm not alone. But sometimes I feel like I'm alone because uh, I'm married 26 years. And um, and uh, I guess my wife don't, and I don't have a lot in common. But uh, sometimes I feel like I'm alone because, uh, because we don't have a lot in common. So uh, one of the things I would do as a tip, on being alone is maybe uh, play a musical instrument, take up something like that. Do you do that? Do you play a musical instrument? Yes, I do. Oh, which yes, which I instrument? Play a couple. I play guitar and bass. Do you and your wife have uh, any children? No. No. So, um, yeah, I think you know. I wonder. I have a. I, I have a strange situation because my wife's older than me. She's uh, ten years older, so I'm in my thirties. So my wife's seventy-two, and I'm. You're how old, Richard? Sixty-two. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, the um, yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't think that's that unusual. Well, I'm wondering, can you and your wife explore some things that you might have in common? Uh, something that you might enjoy doing we, we together. Do. You do. We try. We try and do that. But uh, um, I would say, um, you know, I don't want to change the subject. When you're comfortable with your just sometimes you don't have to find things to do. You understand that you're up. I think that's great, uh, Richard. If you guys are are content in your own own places, I think that's great. Two quick things I wanted to mention. One, I have been struggling to understand. You know, William Shatner used to do a show on uh, RT, actually, Russian Russian television, and then Putin invaded Ukraine, and all the American shows on RT basically got canceled, and it got pulled from all the cable networks and what this William Shatner show was the unfortunate victim of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. You could see why I'm trying so hard to bring a diplomatic end to this conflict. It was called, I don't understand. And there's still a bunch of great episodes on, um, on the YouTube, but it basically every premise was the premise of every episode was they think they take something, say electricity, right? And, Look, let's face it, most people don't know how electricity really works. And Shatner would start the episode at saying, I don't understand electricity. And he would go and explore how electricity works. But it, it's with everything. It was science stuff, health stuff, economic stuff, political, sociological. It was a great show, really, really good. So I always find, find myself saying the same thing because there's so much I don't understand. All of the listeners that can tell you exactly what I am doing wrong every minute of every program will tell you in chapter and verse all the things that I don't understand. They're probably right. But 
I cannot understand why I don't have a Wikipedia page. And some people have said to me from time to time, well, why don't you start your own? You're, you're mentioned in a whole bunch of Wikipedia pages. And here is why I don't. Okay. Story coming out today in the Daily Beast, which is a, a left of center publication. Congressman Mike Lawler, Republican of New York, was a prolific editor of his own Wikipedia content, making 26 changes in total, which earned him a warning from site administrators that he was violating policy by editing his own content, and later an outright ban. Michael Lawler was banned from Wikipedia. This is why. Because now Michael Lawler looks a little bit like, and nothing against him politically or anything, he looks a little bit like a narcissistic jerk here, doesn't he? That he's so obsessed with Wikipedia. Now, of course, I am also similarly obsessed with my Wikipedia footprint. The difference is now the whole world knows that Michael Lawler is similarly obsessed. In my case, only you know. So... Uh, we're going to try and give away $1,000 to someone that can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you think you've got what it takes, be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And then we'll talk with Brian Kilmeade. Those of you who are on hold, we'll try and get to your calls a bit later as well. $1,000 minute, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. All alone am I ever since you goodbye. All alone with just the beat of my heart. People Just the lonely beating of my heart. Brenda Lee on the other side of midnight. Uh, our apologies to David in the Bronx. We want to wish him a happy birthday, but apparently we were not able to get the rights to any of his birthday bumper music selections. But hopefully tomorrow the uh, wheels of music copyright will spin to your advantage and hopefully we'll get to play some of them so sorry about that i hope it doesn't i hope your other birthday wishes are better fulfilled okay all right without further ado let us see if we can't give away some money shall we the other side of midnight presents it's the thousand dollar minute answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win one thousand dollars here's your host Vincent in Rochelle Park. Hello, Vincent. Hi, Frank. Vincent, uh, have you heard this part of the program before? Never. Never? Okay. Let me uh, let me break this down for you. This is very simple. I am going to ask you 10 trivia questions, and uh, they, they are you know going to be relatively easy. 
and you are going to answer them. You're going to have 60 seconds to answer them. The timer will begin after I ask the first question. If you get a question right, I'm just going to move on to the next one so that we can get through these questions quickly. If you get a question wrong, uh, Matt Blaze will play an incorrect buzzer to let you know, and you will not get the money. You answer them all right, you get the money. Ready? Ready to go, Vince? It sounds simple enough, right? Go right ahead. Okay. How many weeks are in a year? 50, 52. What direction do birds fly in the winter? South. Who is the star of the Mission Impossible and Top Gun films? Tom Cruise. What South Carolina Republican senator is running for president? Tim no, um, okay. You were um, close. Go ahead. Keep, you were on the Tim, TV. Tim Scott? Yeah. Tim Scott? In what year did the United States enter World War II? 1941. Who wrote the classic children's book, Charlotte's Web? Oh, Charlotte's Web. Um, go on. Well, that's it. Uh, uh, oh, that's it? Uh, Charlotte's Web? Uh, I don't know, uh. Don't know. All right. I'm sorry. It was E.B. E. White that wrote Charlotte's e. Web. E.B. White. You, you okay. were doing really Thanks, well, Frank. though. You got up to question six. Vincent, hang on. Give Kenneth your information. We're going to give you a, uh, a consolation prize at uh, of some sort. All right. Hey, so I was listening yesterday to uh, Brian Kilmeade's very popular nationally syndicated radio show. And a lot of the things that he does are, are very popular. The books that he writes tend to be bestsellers. The uh, morning show that he co-anchors is the most watched morning show in cable. And a lot of days it beats the uh, the broadcast networks as well. And uh, his show on the weekends is just tearing it up. But I was absolutely fascinated because I tuned to the Brian Kilmeade show yesterday and heard this. Welcome back, Brian Kilmeade show. Just wanted to go over some of these numbers. Um, new poll numbers from NBC shows Biden with a huge lead over Trump in the general. I mean, this is just extraordinary. So I've been meaning to do this for a long time. And I just want to say, I think I have the best chance to beat Joe Biden in 2024. So today for my radio audience, I'm announcing my candidacy for the 2024 presidential race. I'm just kidding. This is an AI generated voice. Back to you, real Brian. Do you have anything to announce? Also, hi, Martha. That is an AI-generated Brian Kilmeade. Now, we have the real, so I'm told, uh, Brian Kilmeade joining us this morning. Hello, real Brian. What's going on? What do you think about that? I think the the AI, Brian, may, may, may put you out of a job or give you a chance to sleep a little bit more. I know. Can you believe that? I mean, I had no idea they were doing it. They just said, Brian, we're coming back with something. So they generated that against my will. So my staff is turning on me. So that's another thing that's pretty clear. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Multiplicity, but the the, the guy I in did. that film, Michael Keaton, he's almost as busy as you, and he creates clones to um, you know to be the the work guy, the home life guy, the social guy. I'm wondering if you could use AI that way. Could you have if you're if you got a lot going on? Can you have AI host One Nation? Can you have AI host your radio show I, I don't want the answer to be yes <laughs> i mean that that would be pretty bad because why why are you paying us when you could just artificial uh, artificially generate us 
I honestly think it is pretty scary. There's uh, another personality <laughs> that uh, in another market, uh, I think it's a, a, a DJ who is they're using her voice as the basis for un- doing her another day part. She's going to remain live in the day part she's on, and they're just going to duplicate her using AI. It's definitely it's no longer the future. It's it's here. It's very it's very frightening, very intimidating. I mean, they're behind closed doors now in Congress trying to come up with some rules because, you know, some of them are doesn't matter how space age they are. They go without saying, I mean, you can't make Frank Brano's voice and go hold up a bank and you can't without your permission put you put your voice or your likeness all over the Internet claiming making all types of claims. I mean, that's still illegal to even though it's a space age. This is fundamentally you can't impersonate somebody in music. You just can't decide to do Drake, uh, uh, Drake and uh, what was it? Uh, and Saturday, what was that? Uh, you know, oh, the I, weekend. I, excuse I, me, right? The weekend. <laughs> uh, the weekend. You yeah. can't do that. I mean, obviously that stuff is illegal, but they do have to understand it in order to regulate it. Uh, we're seeing it in politics now as well. I mean, you saw the controversy over the DeSantis ad creating that AI image of of uh, Trump and and Fauci. I mean, it, this is uh, this is going to be with us for for some time. And the way the technology is advancing, I don't know where we're going. It's uh, it's wild. Hey, uh, l- let me ask you about this uh, situation involving Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI. He testified before Congress yesterday. Got some uh, got some pretty tough questions from Republicans on the. Trump investigation, on surveillance, on a bunch of other things. How did you think uh, Christopher Ray handled himself? You know, listen, I'm doing the show at the same time, so I'm dipping in and out, and we're pulling cuts while I'm on the air, listening to it in real time. I was could not be more disappointed. I mean, there are things that, see, that have had taken place when he's been there since 2017. The whole Twitter files exposed by Elon Musk. Why did these guys not do more with Matt Gates said? He had the verbatim of, I'm sitting here next to my father. And my father basically going on that CEFC officer and say, you better pay up. And that is obviously Joe Biden sitting there and Hunter Biden using his dad as leverage. And whether Joe Biden was there or not is something that should be followed up on. But if you look at what Matt Taibbi even had and Michael Schellenberger, they have the FBI calling you know, thousands of times demanding that small accounts be taken down or shadow banned. And, well, we don't ban anything. Well, you called up an executive at Twitter and says, I need this down. What do you expect them to say? You owe million-dollar checks to people to uh, go into background uh, on certain people and, and get rid of them off social media, off just the one outlet we saw. And then what about this? On October 19th, you found out that the laptop was real. But yet you allowed this investigation to flourish, the New York Post to be frozen, and for anyone to retweet the Post story to be banned and their account suspended, knowing for a year that that was real. Did you come? Did you call William Barr, who was the Department of Justice, and say, "Listen, we we got a huge problem. This guy running for president might be selling his soul and doing international business deals." And leveraging his contacts and running for president at the same time. Did you do any of that? I mean, well, we don't know. There's not. No, no. Did you do? We didn't get any of that specific. And the Twitter files gave you specifics. You said, Christopher Ray, that you were only focusing on foreign intrusion into our election. That is just not true. And we proved it. And if it wasn't you... 
Who was it and what happened to them? What about Marcus Allen and the other whistleblowers that sat there for hours and talked about the corruption at the FBI? Where were the verbatim playing back besides their own personal security and them being fired and demoted, which is illegal? Whistleblowers should be protected. But what about what they said? Instead, I saw rant, a, lot, a lot, way too many rants and monologues. All right, I'm going to count that as a thumbs down on Christopher Ray's uh, performance. <laughs> Could not be more disappointing. And by the way, Chris Christie was happy with him, and Chris Christie got him nominated. He called up uh, Donald Trump and said, "I got this great guy who was my lawyer, and he would be a great person that you can trust." And I have not seen it. I've seen a master politician saying generic things about law enforcement. I mean, that, that's my observation as well. And I was skeptical of Ray uh, from the beginning, uh, although Andrew McCarthy yesterday had some uh, positive reviews of his uh, of his testimony before Congress. Since you bring up Chris Christie, Chris Christie, he'll uh, be my guest today, by the way. Oh, uh, on uh, television and radio or radio specifically? Your radio. Right. See, he, so much of his candidacy, and I know you've probably raised this with him before. If not, maybe maybe this will come up today. So much of his candidacy is about uh, being critical of Donald Trump, and a lot of people would would call it tr- just trashing Donald Trump. Now, he was the first candidate to, um, or the first governor to back Trump in 2016. He served on the transition team. He served on it as opioid czar. He helped coach Trump for the 2020 debates. It was not as if all this behavior that he's complaining about Trump being involved with now was invisible over the course of the last seven years. But it seems like when he was benefiting from it, he had no problem sort of looking the other way on some of Trump's more uh, egregious conduct. I guess my question about Christie is, does loyalty count for anything with him? I know people always ask that of Trump, but loyalty is a two-way street. Trump did give him a lot of opportunities, clearly took his recommendation for FBI director, who knows what other jobs as well, and yet he's now not only running against him, but going out of his way to trash him all over the place. Can you see how that might not look great with some folks? Absolutely. And he said that he he. You know, John Bolton was supportive, and he could not be a bigger critic. But the one thing that Chris Christie would say is that the thing that he was able to overlook those other things until he saw him deny the election and thought in the big picture, this is hurting the country more than anything else. I can't be on board with this. And he wouldn't get a, couldn't get a call back on January 6th when he tried to call and say how bad this is. Do they realize how bad it is? And he couldn't get a call back. And then he said, the, then he came to the conclusions he came to, and you watch him on ABC, and he's a great commentator. He's really one of the. I was pulling sound bites from him every weekend, but you know, you could tell he was he was off the Trump train. Oh, absolutely, no doubt about it. Speaking of the presidential race, every day I see a different article about uh, how DeSantis's campaign is over, about how it's disappointing people, about how even Fox has turned on him. At this point, do you see any hope for a DeSantis comeback? Absolutely, I think they're over the fact that he hasn't budged in the polls make people turn around and say how bad he is. It's uh. You know, I, I think the Yankees are 38 and 31, whatever it is, but they still have a whole season they have to play. Anyone who counts them out doesn't understand that how many moves can be made. I think the analogy works. I don't think he's made as many mistakes. Uh, people wouldn't even be looking at him if he was gaining in the polls. 
Uh, so they'd be like, well, what a, what a good job. What a steady lead. But they see that there's no gain in the polls. And they say, well, there's got to be something wrong with the candidate. Now, I think in the big picture, the six-week abortion ban, many people listening would say they love it. But most of the country is not there. Uh, I don't think the Disney fight hurts him. I think it, he makes him look better every day as, as Disney sucks wind. And you see their parks down to a 20-minute wait for rides in the middle of the summer when they're most popular. So... I, I don't have a, a problem with it. I think his wife is fantastic, and that's how you know she's fantastic being attacked. I just think that Trump has dominated the, the news cycle because of the controversy with the courts. And when you come out, you have a choice. Do I talk about how, how bad Trump is and alienate his base, or do I say how corrupt the situation is? And when I say that, it gives Trump more fuel. So I don't know if there is a road that he is not taking. I think he's waiting for it to appear, and I can't criticize him because I've never seen anything like this in my life. I have not seen a cohesive, coherent way to from the right to hurt Trump. You're going to go criticize the wall in the swamp? That is a dry hole. Everybody knows that Trump did everything possible on the wall. Everyone knows he did everything possible on the swamp. Made huge gains. You know, you want to attack him on Vladimir Putin? Okay, go ahead. I just don't know how many, and I think that's legitimate. Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, a very different yeah, it's policy. it's a substantive policy difference, yeah. sure. But I just don't know if that gets you 30 points. So it's just July. I, I think, Frank, if it's September right. and, he's, and Vivek Ramaswamy and he are neck and neck in second, I would think that it's going to be really tough to imagine without legal situations forcing Trump out that he gains. But I don't think he's nearly as bad as everyone says. Since you reference Vivek Ramaswamy, we're seeing some novel strategies to qualify for the first RNC debate, which is, I believe, on Fox. And several candidates have already qualified. Trump hasn't said whether he's going to participate. DeSantis is qualified. Tim Scott is qualified. Nikki Haley is qualified. So there, you have to get 40,000 donors. And in order to get the 40,000 donors, some of these candidates are imploring some very unique strategies. You have Ramaswamy, who is giving anybody that raises him money 10% of whatever they raise. You raise him a grand, you get a hundred bucks. Doug Bertram, the governor of North Dakota, is giving a either a 20 or a $25 gift card to any donor that gives him a dollar, which if they only give a dollar, that will have his campaign, uh, and he's a billionaire, but he can afford it, that will have his campaign shell out $950,000 worth of gift cards. So what do you think of this strategy? Is this going to work? I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not how the whole qualification was meant to be, but what I love is Vivek Ramaswamy is the ultimate capitalism. And they always tell you about sales. Give me a product. If I could sell, I'll do it. My product moves and you get the commission. So people are out there going, you know, I just need some extra money. Well, I'm going to wait tables. I could drive an Uber or I could call up 50 of my friends and donate to Vivek Ramaswamy. He's going to give me a commission. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, they're going to tell me I wouldn't do I'd do that in a second. To make extra money, I was waitering on the side, doing everything possible in Los Angeles. If I, if I thought, uh, you know, that they, this guy would pay me and I'm, and there's no way he wouldn't, he's got the money. I think he's close to a billionaire. So I'd be out there doing it. Hey guys, just give me five bucks. Give me 10 bucks. Give me 20 bucks. And then he's giving them commission on it. I think it's a great idea.
Yeah, I may uh, donate to Doug Bertram for just for that uh, $25 gift card. I, I could certainly use that. Hey, but, but, but then again, I'm not sure WABC really wants you donating. To I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure they probably <laughs> don't. That's for sure. Hey, um, one of the people that gets still talked about as a presidential candidate, even though, as Yogi would say, it's getting late early. Well, I guess there's two. You have Brian Kemp in Georgia, but Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. You were the first person that I heard, and this is going over back over a year ago, mention him as a prospective candidate. He is now launching a an initiative to have Republicans focus on early voting and mail-in voting and mobilize Republicans to do those things. I think this is long overdue for the Republicans, quite frankly, and I think not having an operation like this really hurt Trump in 2020. Where do you see this going, and do you think this is an indication that he's leaning towards a run? Well, uh, Winsome Sears, too, his lieutenant governor, was on with me on TV yesterday. And I'm going to definitely make that part of the show today. I think it's smart. I don't think it's good for the country to have election season. You, I'm sure you don't either. But if they're going to continue to do it, how long are you going to sit on the sidelines and hold your breath? So get involved. I like it. I, I like it. I know who else is doing it. Charlie Kirk. Uh, he, his whole organization is out there recruiting people to register and vote early. So they're playing the game. How can it hurt? It hurts the country because you're going to be voting and you don't know if their Hunter's laptop's going to be found. The October surprise might rule you out because 45 days prior to the election uh, or the last debate. You might, you know, I don't know if they're going to do. I remember people could vote in the summer prior to the last debate, which I hope they adjust the debate season. So and and it could hurt you if you you know if you were Barack Obama and blew the first debate and then the early voting allowed you to vote. I'm sure Romney would have just cleaned up, but Republicans said we're going to win election day and they kept they keep losing election. So it's a great idea. Hopefully it's well executed. Uh, the micro targeting uh, was uh, first done by Howard Dean. And now everyone's done it better. Republicans have yep. done it better. And now the Democrats are getting better at it. So we'll see where it goes. All right, Brian, we're going to have to leave it there. Catch him on Fox and Friends this morning. Listen to his uh, nationally syndicated radio show, which will feature Chris Christie today. And catch him on uh, Saturday night on One Nation. Thank you, Brian. Go get him. And uh, that was not artificial intelligence. That was natural intelligence, for better or worse. 15 seconds of fame. Straight ahead. <laughs> Other side at midnight. It's the other side at midnight with Frank Morano. Other side at midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Raji. At the overwhelming rate, we are sending weapons and cash to Ukraine. The U.S. will run out of ammunition in just 10 days in a war against China. Thank Polly. Hey, Don. Uh, what do you What do you really know about the mob? What do you know about the mob? You're a mama look. E. Frank. If Amy Winehouse was still alive today, she would be seen for Joe Biden to rehab himself and rehabilitate his uh, workaholic ways. Larry. Frank, I got a phone call earlier today from my broker. He said I'm so broke right now, 
that I can't even afford to pay attention. What oh. should I do, Frank? <laughs> Bill. All right. On that note, by the way, I'm hearing that posh thing is an urban legend, so we'll have to check on that. Ask Frank anything tomorrow. Frank Morano, good day.